Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. better being here it's uh it's tuesday december 12 2017 can you believe it three weeks from now it'll be 2018 think about that how quickly time flies glad to be part of the global star radio network thank you global star also live on blog talk radio btr the fine folks there and of course uh, youtube live for as long as that lasts we are on our way to a constitutional crisis i don't doubt that one bit um that and much more tonight we've got a great show lined up for you tonight uh in fact at the bottom of this hour we know, of course, a special election in Alabama. Roy Moore v. Doug Jones to take over the seat left vacant by the Sessions appointment to Attorney General. Boy, what a gift that was, right? Um, and, of course, we'll be covering that at the bottom of this hour with Coach Dave Dobmar, who's getting a lot of heat from the right-wing watch people. I love it when that happens because it means that, you know, he's making... He's making um, He's over the target, in my view. He's uh, he's just a, a, in my view, a, a great guy. And we're gonna be talking about uh, his statement that he made on his show. If you didn't catch his show this morning, it's up. I, I believe it's up on uh, Coach Dave Live. Still, right now, you can do it. It's it's interesting what he says. You know, we are we are playing on an asymmetrical battlefield, and, and I'm gonna stop there because we're gonna cover a lot of this at the bottom of the first hour. So, hey, Kyle from Right Right Wing Watch. Hey, Kyle. Turn on the recorders. Get the transcription ready. Can't handle the truth, can you? Portions of the last broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks. OmahaSteaks.com. Have you ordered your gift for that someone who's hard to buy for yet? Do so. And they'll even gift wrap it for you. But there's a very special offer at OmahaSteaks.com. HH in the search bar. Fantastic deal for Hagman listeners. OmahaSteaks.com. HH in the search bar. More on that later. But a constitutional crisis is on the way. You know, we are in, uh, it's interesting, there, there was a, an article posted, um, on the prospect.org website. I don't even know who wrote it. It doesn't matter. The, uh, a constitu, a constitu, yeah, a constitutional crisis is on the way. That's the article right here. Saying that, uh, remarkably, Remarkably, we're almost a year into Donald Trump's term as President of the United States, and we haven't yet had a full-blown constitutional crisis, but one may be on its way. And, of course, that refers to the uh, firing of Mueller, which they think is is a done deal because, of course, Donald Trump gets all of his policy decisions from Sean Hannity and Fox News and because he sits in his pajamas for eight hours a day drinking a dozen Diet Cokes and uh, watching um, news and, and doing nothing but tweeting out things that, or nonsensical. That's twelve diet cokes yeah. a day, two scoops of ice cream. I can't believe Kentucky it. Kentucky Fried Chicken with a knife and a fork, and watches eight hour hey, of TV a day, re- and re- golf's every day. And, and re- remember yeah. the Seinfeld episode where they had uh, everyone was eating uh, um, 
a candy Rogers. bar with candy bars. Oh, with, candy bars. Yeah, with yeah, the, the, the knife. fork. Yeah, and knife. Costanza went into a, a meeting yeah. and, and put it on, the, and then it, turned, it became trendy, and everybody was doing it. Uh, I do remember that, but. So what we had to do, Joe, is now Dr. Ted, of course, uh, would have a, a meltdown if we had Diet Coke in here. And, and personally, I don't drink Diet Coke. I don't drink Diet anything. I think I think the taste is abhorrent. But wouldn't it be kind of neat to like stack up a, a half a dozen Diet Cokes and uh, get some? Well, wait, wait a minute. It's two Big Macs, two fish sandwiches, and a chocolate shake. That's what he orders from McDonald's, supposedly. You know, it, it just it just shows you how far the establishment politicians and media will go to try to discredit Donald Trump and we see this uh, today this battle intensifying today you saw a few days of heated exchanges between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and people from the press corps specifically Jim Acosta and this morning there was a okay uh, I went to bed last night about 3 o'clock and I set my alarm for 8 this morning I wanted to get up early and I, I, I got up and I turned Whoa, on CNN. Just curiously, what were you doing up until three? Watching TV, doing stuff on the computer. Were you watching? I that's when I get. Fun? That's like, when you know, I uh, War of the Worlds or anything or what? No, no. Probably just news. Probably uh, see, something see, I, I might have DVR. I don't know. Here's I don't what I do. I'm in bed, like studio. I'm in bed. I will be tonight for the most part. And, and I, I get up. At, I get up at four every morning. Yeah, I can get a, a one or two days a week, three days a week where I only get, you know, four or five hours of sleep. But usually the next day, I, like tonight, I'll probably be in bed by 1130 or so. But if, more often than not, I, I like to stay up late. But anyway. Oh, wait, wait. What's what's up with the lighting in here? Eric the Tech. Why do we look like we just crawl out of caskets? Because we uh, live in Erie, Pennsylvania, where the snow reflects from the the ground and, and your, absorbs right. the color right from your skin. I, I'm done complaining. Go ahead, Joe. No, but uh, long story short, I woke up this morning early, and I watched about two and a half hours of CNN this morning, uh, and it was interesting. And what was going on was it was the the media. First you had, I forget who's on that early, Chris, Chris Cuomo, and then after that, um, there's another show on caskets. Yeah, well... Uh, there was this whole big fiasco uh, from a Trump tweet this morning. Now, th- and there's been huge backlash from it. Okay, Donald Trump tweeted this morning about Senator Gillibrand of New York and made a point that she was somebody who would, uh, would come to him yeah. for looking for campaign contributions. And apparently he donated eight grand to her. We need to discuss this because I got a real problem with the reaction. Go ahead. Yeah, and you. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. We don't talk before the show. You have media reaction, then you have well, you have the media reaction, the the instant reaction, then you have the rollover to the press corps where Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked a question about his tweet because he in the tweet he said that she would do anything for the the campaign contribution, Senator Gillibrand. No, no, no. Where, where does your mind go when you hear that? Does it go automatically to, 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 she would give, perform some sex act on you? Well, that's where the media's went, and that's exactly what I thought of. And, and I, Wait, I, you thought sort of, of that? No, like, where, where are people's minds at? How are they going to read this tweet? And I believe that Donald Trump used those words specifically to make the point that, I'll oh, see how you people think, just so, you know, when it was asked in the press, press briefing, that right, she would be right. able to, to turn around and, and say that. But, it, it is a valid point to make. I mean, I didn't read anything sexual into it when I first read it. I just, it just meant that, you know, 
any kind of political favors. It it made sense to me when I read it. Right. I, I, my mind didn't go there where these degenerate people go. But, but go on. It, it, after I thought it through, it, it did kind of seem like they were going to turn this into exactly what they did. And you have, um, because this senator, the Senator Gillibrand, has been out and about the last three days uh, urging and, and um, proclaiming that Donald Trump should resign, that the accusers of sexual misconduct against him are credible and it doesn't matter if it came out before the election he needs to step down so he made he put out this tweet in response to her because he has been a donor of her for more than one election and he feels like i believe he feels like the people who had their hand out and wanted something from him before he was a republican president have a lot of them have turned their backs on him and he feels betrayed he probably you know uh doesn't appreciate that too much so he issued this tweet the media uh, you know, just about fell out of their chair all across the board. You had, uh, Chris Cuomo react. You had, um, everybody, uh, Mika Brzezinski was reacting. Did Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren called it slut shaming. Now, I'm not exactly sure what okay. that is. I can tell wait, by wait the name. Second. I can slut kind of figure shaming. this out. For shaming. <laughs> it, it's, I, I believe that she's trying to say woman shaming. But did, did she actually say that? Yes, she did. That's Slut exact, shaming. That's her exact quote. I'm offended just by hearing that. Yeah, I don't quite get. You're calling another senator by that word. Am I wrong here? You're referring to her as a slut, right? That's what. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren wow. says Trump is guilty of slut shaming. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts accused Donald Trump of that Tuesday afternoon. After the president said a female senator begged him for donations and visits to his office and would do anything for them. And um, some said that Trump is, uh, this is what Elizabeth Warren tweeted out. Are you really trying to bully, intimidate, and slut shame Senator Gillibrand? Do you know who you're picking a fight with? Good luck with Apparently that. Apparently a slut. <laughs> well, that's what Elizabeth Warren, see, she's the only one to say that, use that word. So, so the question wow. has to be asked, you know, when they're they're saying that he's being... Uh, she's, Senator Gillibrand said that Trump's tweet was sexist or uh, sexually harassing, something crazy like that. But this is the, the whole point. Look how crazy the media gets. They attack Donald Trump, even right. former friends of his who have taken money from him, attack Trump. He turns around and says, hey, you know, you took money from me, and you were pretty desperate when you when you came to me for that money. And then the media turns it around like Trump is the, the bad guy here. Uh, he's the one that's out of line. When in reality he's just calling it like he sees it, and as you said in the interview we did earlier, uh, in with Victorious Libertas, is that you know this is why the American people elected him. He's a, a regular American man. He's not an initiated. He's not a, you know some political guru that is serving yeah. his master. Yeah. He's a regular man who wants to better this country economically and otherwise, and they they can't stand it. So obviously they turn everything into this. Uh, crap fest in the media, but they overreacted today. And the whole morning on CNN, the whole two and a half, three hours I'm watching, they're parading congresswomen out in press conferences calling for an investigation into Trump's sexual misconduct. The whole three hour programming I watched today was all about the Trump accusers. But I told how the issue you. was not settled before the election. And I it wasn't told settled you. properly, like we see with the results we get today, like Senator Al Franken resigning. Problem is, Senator Al Franken hasn't resigned. He's still a state senator. I, I have a feeling, you know what? If I Roy don't... Moore wins, he's not going to resign. Yeah, I don't think so. 
but but I told you, I told you from the day from day one when this started, when this avalanche of sexual allegations started, I told you this is going to come back and and be put directly into Donald Trump's lap. And is this not happening? Hmm. Oh yeah. And is it's only going to get on? worse. Don't think this is just going to go go that. away because of the <sighs> lack of response from the White House or the inability to get you know any kind of uh, traction for an investigation. The media so, will not will not drop this story until they get either a the response they want or it it disappears into the old news bin. But they're going to try to keep it alive as long as they can. And don't expect it to go away this year. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to roll out some new accusers. They pay good money, tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes, to have people come out and make false allegations. Enter Larry Flint uh, offering money. Remember, he, he does that. Well, well, okay. And, and here, here's the look. I, I, I really think that we are headed for a crisis uh, that you can't imagine, and I don't want to. I don't want to be. Wait, I guess that's fear porn, right? Go ahead and accuse me of fear porn. Yeah, yeah all right. Um, a couple of things, by the way, on my morning show, because you guys pumped your uh, your show yesterday quite mm-hmm. a bit. So, I, I let me pump my morning show, nine to ten Eastern time on Blog Talk Radio, and click the follow button. Do you like it? Okay, or Global Star Radio, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. You can go to Hagman Report and there, it's right there. But, but let me ask you a question. Um, or let me just say this. I, I think that we are, we are headed for a constitutional crisis. It's, it's the only thing left to do. You got two choices. You got, or the deep state, the shadow government's got two choices. They can either Eliminate Donald Trump, and I mean physically eliminate him, in my view, right? JFK style. That's one option. Okay. Now, because they cannot afford to have Donald Trump continually exposing the misdeeds of the shadow government. But here's the problem, Joe. Um, the permanent state is so ingrained, entrenched in, in, in the government apparatus of bureaucracy. You've got the Department of Justice just full of deep state operatives. You've got appointed. And anything Donald Trump does with respect to the Department of Justice, he's, he, he, impeachment is like right there. Mm-hmm. You think about getting rid of Mueller. There's no way. I mean, where in the world is Jeff Sessions? I played it. I, he I, recused I, himself. I did play a couple of clips on my morning show. One of Ronald Reagan. You got to hear it. You got to tune. Just tune into the morning show just for that, Ronald Reagan. But uh, Jason Shavitz was on with Lou Dobbs yesterday or the day before, talking about, uh, or yeah, I think it was yesterday, talking about Sessions, and he said something that that kind of really f- floored me. He said. Sessions is a nice guy, but he's not up to the job. Sounds about right. And, and uh, you think that's the case? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean or, look at or do you think he's he's playing 3D chess and everybody's no, going to, you know, oh. No, 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 no. No, that's not no. happening. Um, I We have talked about this at length. Jeff Sessions, to me, maybe he's not 
this way in his regular life and in its capacity as senator, but he seems very weak to be an attorney general. He doesn't nice guy, seem like but... he has the fire or the desire and will um, to do this job, or there is something being held over I, his I head. I want that job. Or I, w- I want to be attorney general. I, you don't have to be an attorney either, but I want to be a general. We talked about you, you being be... attorney general on our Daily Show the other day. I, I, I want and, that job. Uh, we decided it would have... not be a good idea. Come on, let me, let me, give me that job and turn me loose. Okay, I, I guarantee yeah, you they're, they're, they're going to be bodies floating. They'll be in jail. Metaphorically. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, but look, we need, we need to clean out the rot, the infestation in, inside the beltway. And we're not going to do it by, by playing by their rules. No, no, we're not. Which brings us to, our segment two guest, Coach Dave Dobemeyer. Yes. Who made some waves today? And I'm not going to get into it now. We're going to, we're going to save it for the next 15 minutes when he comes on. But he was quoted by, called out by right wing one. Kyle. Hey, Kyle. And we're going to get into why that is. How you doing? And they're, they're trying to, it's like a, ah, see, we got coach. You see what he said? We got him. He's a bad. This isn't Christian life. Yeah. And I guarantee you, people who are some Christians. little old lady. I guarantee you, some little old lady who's knitting a, a, a sweater in, in Mississippi and typing everything that we say is going to be saying he's a bad Christian. The same, the same person and the same people who say, you know, Center for Medical Progress, they were really, they, they were unchristian-like for infiltrating Planned Parenthood and exposing the infanticide. That's not very Christian-like to lie, to lie, to under pretext. Well, we'll, we'll let him explain that. Uh, but, but you know something though? See, that's why, that's why when I was in court that one day, I tossed the TV toward a judge because he said, pretext in, in the legal sense, you can go in and, um, under a pretext, under, undercover, uh, undercover operations require, uh, you know, legally, you gotta kinda change your identity. You gotta go in as someone else. Otherwise, what do you do? Go in and say, hi, I'm Doug Hagman, I'm an investigator, I'm here to investigate. No, no, no. Right. Anyway. And we'll get into all the, uh, the different angles and dynamics of that when, Coach Dave joins us, and as you said earlier, this is the, you know, Alabama decides tonight. Uh, will it be Doug Jones, the Democrat, or will it be Roy Moore? A lot of conflicting reports from what I heard Where's today. My, I listened to a Here's lot. Magic eight ball. Hang on. Let's see what Magic what eight ball. Get. I'd feel better if you actually had a Magic eight ball instead of your mouth. It's not supposed to say that. <laughs> I can't repeat that. No, but... um you know, will we see, uh, I've seen a lot of conflicting reports today. One of the reasons I was, uh, so engrossed in the media today was to hear some of the feedback from Alabama. Was, was it a much bigger turnout than expected? What are some of the exit polls saying? And as usual, with, anymore with elections, you have the biased reporting. So if you're getting it from, you know, Fox News, you're getting a lot of, well, uh, Roy Moore's still a good guy. I'm going to vote for him. You're listening to CNN or MSNBC. You're hearing Roy Moore's a pedophile. How can you vote for him? That kind of stuff. So it, it seems uh, that the news and the political analysts were, were saying that the higher the turnout, the less likely it is for Roy Moore to win. Now we've been—I've been hearing reports of very high turnout. Yet at the same time, well, it just having the opposite twice. results. It just Actually, Roy know. Moore is getting most of the support, from what I heard. Now he wrote this means nothing. I saw that. 
I video. saw that. Did he have a video. beer in his hand too, or uh, he had a pistol in one hand and the, the reins in the other? Rode in and that, that's pretty video. funny. So we'll see. I mean, we we should know before the show end, uh, hopefully, right around that time between 9 and midnight, I am assuming, because, what, the polls in Alabama close at 7, I believe. So we should have a a good idea of where that um, election is going and what are the implications. We know that if Roy Moore doesn't win, we're going to hear about it for the next week to 10 days about this, how this is a referendum on Trump and Trump policies, even though... They tarnished Roy Moore's name and reputation in the media to a point where the election results, I'd say, are more so about that than they are about Trump. Um, and if and if Roy Moore wins, how's that going to go? Will he be seated in the Senate? Can they take that away from him? But the point is, you know, you still would have a Republican seat if Roy Moore gets elected and is removed. The seat would still remain Republican, but um, what kind of Republican? That's really the question. Today, I want to hit on this. I just listened to this right before we started the show. Chris Matthews has taken particular gold tingles, huh? Issue with, with Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel, Israel's capital. And listen to Chris Matthews lays out an argument that while keeping one campaign promise, he broke another in the same decision. MSNBC host Chris Matthews on Monday ripped into Donald Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, charging that the president's decision violated his campaign promise not to get the U.S. into stupid wars. You heard that right. Trump repeatedly claimed on the campaign trail that he always opposed the Iraq war and was against foreign interventions uh, that we have seen in the past. On Monday, Matthews blasted Trump for promising some groups he would recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital and move the U.S. embassy there from Tel Aviv and he goes on to say, The president would have us believe there is honor in his decision of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He promised some groups that he would do it. Therefore, he finds honor in delivering on that promise. I can distinctly remember a far larger promise that Trump made in the campaign, far more important and far more wide-ranging in his conse- in its consequences. He promised again and again that he would not enter this country into what he called stupid wars. Wars that do nothing to advance our country's security. In recognizing Jerusalem, he's doing just that, is what Chris Matthews is saying. So he equates the U.S. recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital to the U.S. getting involved in another war. I don't really understand the logic there, but this is what is being talked about on outlets like MSNBC and on CNN. Um... And it, it's just, it's startling to watch. But at this point, why should we expect anything different? Because this is, you know, what the status quo has been for so long now. Bitcoin. I know we had that show last week on Bitcoin. It has reached new highs today. It is up to over 17000 dollars And it is now officially the biggest bubble in world history. Well, that, according to Zero Hedge, it's official. Bitcoin surpasses tulip mania, now the biggest bubble in world history. And this article on Drudge from Zero Hedge goes on to detail some of the world's most famous famous asset bubbles. And the uh, Tyler Durden is saying that this is exactly like what we saw with the bubble of tulip mania, which is some of the, the favorite analogies you like to use, Dad, and others have used when talking about Bitcoin, but I don't think the analogy fits 
but you know whatever anyway how high can bitcoin go some are saying it could be as high as 40 to 100,000 by the end of 2018 and they say you know it could get to 20,000 before the end of this year also there is um, another coin that is making news today and that is litecoin l i t e coin which has bigger gains than bitcoin does this year because it was at a, a far lower number when the year started and it has raised hundreds of dollars. Uh, I mean, it was just like at $34 a month ago. It's up to 200 and some dollars today. And this is the way of many cryptocurrencies. So you have to ask the questions, uh, these questions, even though we don't understand Bitcoin, and I'm sure some of you do better than I do, <clears throat> is this cryptocurrency market, you know, the future of wealth growth in this country? And can and should you look at it like the stock market? Should you pull your money out some of your money out of stocks or whatever your investments are. I have none. I have no investments. But if I did, I would be thinking strongly right now about cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies. Would I invest in cryptocurrencies? It seems like this year the rate of return for those currencies are much higher than anything else that ordinary Americans can get their hands on. They're outpacing stops, stocks, obviously, um, you know, uh, mutual funds, gold and silver, Bonds, well, ten-year bonds. I don't know, but the money seems to. If you can get the money in and out without any problems, and the rate of return is going to continue like this for any length of time, you'd be stupid not to invest your money. Look, and you don't look, have to have sixteen, look. seventeen grand to buy a bitcoin. No, you I know buy you can buy fractions, one, but you can put five dollars right. in. Look, all I know is this: I feel a lot better having gold or silver if, if you know, as opposed to something digital. Well, Lights go that. out. You can buy gold or silver in a lot of places now with your Bitcoin. Actual stores are allowing Bitcoin's uh, issuing debit cards. Uh, well, you can buy it with fiat currency. Well, well I'm just saying. So, if you really wanted to, say you dumped, uh, bought ten Bitcoins at at a thousand dollars a Bitcoin, and they're up, you know, up to seventeen thousand a piece now. You can uh, so many more merchants now. In each day, it's increasing. Yeah. Are getting actually Bitcoin or Coinbase transaction hubs in their stores where you can get a debit card hooked up to your Bitcoin and buy goods and services with it. So it goes much farther than just cashing out and getting the cash. Well, sure. It's, it's kind of like, look, I, look, I get it. I, I understand it. I just, I just make fun of this. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report on this Tuesday edition. Boy, a, a full lineup coming. Next up, Coach Dave Dobmeyer. CoachDaveLive.com. Stay where you're at. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Interesting time in which we live, isn't it? Again, I believe that we are headed for a, a crisis of unprecedented magnitude, um, and it's going to be one made by the people, but by the by the deep state, by the shadow government, because that's the only way out of this exposing the misdeeds, the evil of the shadow government, the permanent state in the deep state uh and i i really truly believe that and of course i i got into that today in uh, a number of issues uh on my morning program doug hagman radio show nine to ten eastern time see so i had to get another plug in there just because i can tonight's broadcast brought to you by omaha steaks omahasteaks.com look there's still time and you don't want to go out in the snow i mean i'm telling you right now if you don't have to go out don't I, I love Omaha Steaks. As a matter of fact, I just, just ordered some for Christmas for a couple of people today. If you're struggling to find that perfect gift for someone who's got it all, do what I do. Go to omahasteaks.com and pick your package there. Yeah, but make sure you put HH in the search bar. Okay, omahasteaks.com and then type in HH in the search bar because there you're going to find as soon as you, as soon as you do that. 
fantastic specials only for listeners to the Hagman Report. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and How for under $50. For only $49.99, you can get my family gift pack. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type type in the search bar, HH. That's 75% off. Now, they, of course, offer so many unique gift ideas, wine pairing. I mean, it's fantastic. You can spend a lot of time there looking at, at different uh, options, and, and I, I did, and it's just it's a great company. But right now, Omaha Steaks is giving you an exclusive savings just just for you, the listeners to the Hagman Report. Listen to everything that you'll get for under $50. Two filet mignons, two boneless pork chops, two top sirloins, four succulent boneless chicken breasts, four steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, which really I want to know what they put in that, and, of course, four kielbasa sausages. And if you order right now, you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages free. That's that's incredible. It's an incredible all that for under fifty dollars. I think I think uh, if you would do that um, by by themselves, it'd be over two hundred and like two hundred thirteen or two hundred fourteen dollars. It's incredible. What what a great savings! Go to OmahaSteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, and get a seventy five percent savings right now. It's a gift guaranteed to be a hit. While you're at it, order the same pack or order something for yourself. I guarantee it you'll be thanking me later. That's OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar. We have with us Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, past the Salt Ministries, and he has created a, a, a small firestorm on the Internet on places like Right Wing Watch and Democratic Underground. Kyle's upset with Dave Dobbenmeyer. Well, let's bring Coach yeah. on and have him talk about what it is that he said today that has uh, so many people upset on the left side of the aisle. Coach, it's great to have you back on the show. Joe, Doug, thanks. You know, they say if you t- pick a rock and you throw a rock into a bunch of pigs, the one that squeals is the one that you hit. So anytime those other guys are a little bit upset at me, I I think it's a, it's a pretty good situation to be in. And I like that analogy. Uh, you know, well, it's the truth, isn't it? And yes, it is. I, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to make friends with them, Doug. You know, I, I, I you know, for people to take stuff out of context, you guys get a lot of that stuff as well. Those who aren't watching my show every day and don't understand uh, uh, what what came before just this morning's program are not not going to understand what it is that we were talking about. But the whole uh, the whole premise that we were making was was this whole debate about what's going on with Judge Roy Moore and the fact that that uh, we are being forced, Doug, Joe, to live by to play by two sep- different sets of rules. In other words, we have the set of rules for the Christians, and then we have a set of rules for everybody else. And it's in an ungodly... See, the the political process, government used to be righteous. Government's no longer righteous. And those of us who studied this at all, as I have, now know that uh, Saul Alinsky and his rules for radicals, one of the number one rules, I think it was number four, I don't have it right in front of me right now, was to make the opponent live up to his own set of values. And Alinsky said that's impossible to do. You can never, none of us, Doug, can ever live up to all of the Christian values that, that are put out before. And so what I'm trying to, was, was the, what I was alluding to today in this whole Judge Roy Moore, see, this, Doug, this thing's so deep. Let me try to unpack it a little bit if I can. Sure. For, first of all, uh, I, 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 Doug, I got, I got as much grief from Christians 
as I have from from the left hey, from the law. Well, welcome to the club. As, as if as if we live in a perfect world, brother. We do not live in a perfect world, and like it or not, we are constantly faced with what I call situational ethics. Now, right is always right, and wrong is always wrong, and our faith teaches us that we are to do right. But there's some things I think that we need to discuss and we need to think about, especially as it applies to the whole Judge Roy Moore thing. I hear from Christians who say, well, I can't vote for him because uh, he, he has not come clean. Judge Moore hasn't come clean. Well, I try to take them back to the Bible, which, by the way, if the Bible were the basis, we wouldn't be in the mes- this mess that we're in right now. Because the Bible re- re- requires that if you have an odd against your brother, in other words, if Judge Moore did something to somebody, uh, they have an obligation to go one-on-one, first of all, and get cards on the table. And if that doesn't work, you take another brother with you. And if that doesn't go work, then you uh, then you announce it to the, to the whole church. You announce it to everybody. In other words, you, as we, as we all know, you are innocent until proven guilty. Well, Judge Moore has been faced with something that was, was clearly from a biblical standpoint. Now I'm always talking from a biblical standpoint. These accusations that have come 40 years after the supposed event took place is clearly beyond what is a biblical response. 40 years later, it's an accusation. Judge Roy Moore has no obligation in my opinion, to have to answer to the public in a public venue something that happened 40 years ago. Let, let, me, let me explain it to you. According to Mosaic Law, Doug, long time ago, a man's bond, a man's word is a really, really important thing. In, 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 in the Mosaic Law, it was a crime, hear me now, it was a crime to bear false witness against your neighbor, meaning to bring an accusation. It was a crime, Doug, to bring an accusation if there was not another witness. And in Mosaic Law, if you were a witness to the crime that they're talking about and you didn't come forward, it was a crime for you because you didn't step in and try to bring truth to the table. So in other words, what's happened with Judge Roy Moore back in recorded history would not have even been able to take place because there was no other witness to what was going on. And if there was a witness to it, then it should have been held at that time in a court of law with all of the witnesses coming forward. Nothing could be further from the truth than what's going on. Now, the rules for radicals, Saul Linsky's rule was what? Make them live up to their own set of rules. And you, so you are you are you are right. That's number four. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. That's number and so four. And you can't do it. And, and right. Alinsky said because they can't do it. Nobody's perfect, right? No, right. nobody. And so it comes down then, Doug, to this whole idea. Well, there's a couple couple issues that are at work here. Number one, the the sixth commandment doesn't say thou shalt not lie. It says thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, folks, let's 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 crack this up here a little bit. All of God's Ten Commandments were protected. He said, "Don't lie because you're hurting the one who's being lied about. Don't commit adultery because you're hurting the person that you commit adultery against. Don't steal because they're all protected for the for the innocent one. We understand that, right? 
And to bear false witness meant to not say something that was going to be injurious to your neighbor. Now, here's another question. Who is my neighbor? That's all throughout the scripture as well. And I want people to understand that I am not endorsing bearing false witness, but we're playing by a different set of rules. Judge Roy Moore, this allegation is 40 years old, Doug. It's not like it happened yesterday. It's not like it happened happened two weeks ago. It's not like it even happened three years ago. This is 40 years later. And the rules with radicals says that they they have to make Judge Moore live up to his standard of honesty. Their standard, his own standard of honesty. And Judge Moore can't say this because of the culture and the society in which we live. They're playing in with a different set of rules. Judge Moore can't say, okay, I'll live up to honesty if it's done biblically the way it was designed to have been, should have been done 40 years ago. Nobody said anything about it. And what we see now, Judge Moore could say, is nothing more than gossip. This is just gossip. And everyone is trying to get me to respond to nothing more than gospel. There is no witness. There's there's no crime. There's nothing here. But then those of us who are holier-than-thou Christians, we want to say, oh, he's got to come clean. He's got to come clean. Well, hang on a second. If I'm driving down the road on a motorcycle, Doug, or I'm driving down the road in my car, and I see a guy on a motorcycle flip his motorcycle, and he ends up over on the other side of a fence, and I pull off my car real quick, and I run down the hill, and I'm going to try to try to uh, help him. But when I get down there, there's a sign hanging on the fence that says, private, no trespassing. <laughs> and another guy comes running down beside me and says, and he's going to get over the fence. I said, where are you going, man? He says, well, I'm going to go help that guy. I said, no, 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 you can't. It says, don't trespass. You're not allowed to trespass. He says, if I don't trespass, that guy dies. Now, Doug. Wouldn't the average guy in that situation trespass? Because there's a higher law, brother. There is a higher law that's at work here rather than just thou shalt not trespass, okay? Am, am I making sense so far, Doug? Yeah, but 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 uh, your your voice is only um, being tempered or muted by the heads exploding out there among the sanctimonious. Yeah. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> yeah, yes. So so Judge Roy Moore, in the situation that we see in Judge Roy Moore, for me, whether or not he's telling the truth, I don't see him bearing false witness. For number one, he does not have the. He is not required to bear a testimony to a lynch mob. He has no obligation, Doug. Every one of us get the, the right of a trial by jury, a jury of our peers. And CNN and MSNBC and Fox News is not a jury of his peers. There's, it's an allegation, nothing more of an allegation, and he has no way of being able to clear himself as a result of that. So here we are with a guy now who's been fighting these allegations. I said... If I was him, I would say, I don't recall, I don't remember, I would stick to that, I would stick to that over and over and over. But Doug, now it comes, to my opinion, to a higher law. To a higher law. Because... And that higher law... Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Electrical battlefield, too, that in which we're playing, and you're, you're right on the higher law aspect, but even... Uh, well, yes, go ahead. I, I don't even mean to The interrupt. other team's allowed to lie, Doug. Yes. The yes. other team's allowed to lie. Judge Roy Moore, folks, you you better get this. He's trying to infiltrate enemy-held territory. 
He is trying to get into this club that they don't want it. First of all, they don't want him in because they know he's a righteous man. And if he stands up and he, he comes clean or whatever, if he, if he, if he testifies to the public about something that happened 40 years, number one, his, his rights have been violated. But number two, he does not have to answer gossip, which is really all this is. So in his mind, in my mind, and I hear people say, well, now the Republican Party has become the party of pedophiles. Mm-hmm. All rumors. That's their favorite talking all point. Rumors, right? All rumors. The, the reality of it is we have a guy. You want to talk about something? We have a guy who's openly said he's going to do his best to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, to me, that's a higher cause, brother. That's a higher cause for him to get into that, in, invade that enemy-held territory, overturn Roe versus Wade. We heard him say it. Say it overturn the the whole marriage debacle. We heard him say that. We heard him say it, Doug. Yep, yep. To overturn Common Core. We heard him say it. To oh, do, Doug, Judge Roy Moore is everything the right complained that Donald Trump wasn't. He is everything. He is the paragon of virtue that the, that the, the what term did I the right. sanctimonious right, right. Yep. didn't want Donald Trump in there because he wasn't. Judge Moore is every one of those things. And still, the sanctimonious right wants him to be tried in the court of public opinion. And Doug, I, yep. I think, I think, yep. there, see, there's two, there's two sets of law. He is trying, see, there was a time when every one of our politicians were honest guys. They were all honest. They're all men of integrity, men of their word. Those days are long past, Doug. And we're in a situation where the very name of Jesus is under attack in our culture and in our society. Western civilization is at its very, it hangs in the balance. I really believe that, Doug. I, I do too. Judge Roy, Judge Roy Moore, a paragon of virtue, because he has not Whatever gone gone deeply into forty year old accusations, we see right now that the right, our team, our team is doing rules with radicals. Doug, <laughs> our team is demanding he live up to those standards when they themselves are. Nobody is able to live up to all those standards, mm-hmm. and as a result, it's like playing in a football game. Doug, let's say it's a football game and. It, Hey, Doug, I know I'm making people mad. Heads are exploding right I, now. I, I can hear them, man. I can hear them. They're exploding right now. Yep. Hey, Doug, listen. In a football game, you watch how they have those instant replays? Mm-hmm. Have those instant replays? What, what if what if I'm playing in a football game, Doug, and it's uh, fourth and one, and I'm, I'm carrying the ball, and boom, I hit up inside there, and they can't tell whether I got in or whether I didn't get in, but I know, Doug, I know I didn't get in. I know I didn't get in. If the referee comes up to me, am I supposed to say to the referee, uh, Mr. Referee, I cannot tell a lie. I didn't cross the goal line. Or am I playing by a set of rules where the referee's job is to determine whether or not I crossed the goal line? It's not my job to tell him. It's not my job. Were we supposed to play in a football game where, where they win the, have the game-winning touchdown and the, and the tight end, who's just the most honest, righteous young guy that you ever had in your life, holds on that play? Is he supposed to go over to the referee and say, Your Honor, I violated the rules I held. That touchdown shouldn't count. See, Doug, Judge Roy Moore has stepped onto a field 
where there is a different set of rules. And he's being forced to play by a different set of rules. Now, if Judge Moore is in a court of law where there's a, a, a jury and there's a judge and there's two attorneys, he has every obligation to speak the truth. But I'm going to tell you this right now, brother. In my opinion, he has no obligation to speak the truth to a lynch mob. That's where I come down on it. Now, Doug, I can take you a couple different times through the scripture where where uh, lying saved people's lives. Or, or here's, a, here's a situation, Doug. They hate you pretty bad. They break into your house tonight, and you get come down, and you meet them down at the steps, and they're getting ready to put a bullet in your head, and they say, is there anybody else in the house? And your wife has run downstairs, and she's hiding downstairs. Are you going to be George Washington and say, I cannot tell a lie? She's hiding down in the closet. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to pray about that, Coach. <laughs> yeah, I suppose somebody else's wife, then maybe, Joe. You, you understand, right? You yeah. understand? No, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. The law written on the heart. There's a greater good that it's that is at work here. And Judge Roy Moore, if we cannot understand that the opposition is doing everything they can to prevent him from scoring the touchdown, and they want Judge Moore to throw the flag on himself. Brother, I just I just don't think that's the way it's supposed to work. I'm sorry. I just don't think it is because because again of of the idea of the higher good of rescuing babies, restoring marriage getting uh, the name of Jesus back into into government. Who knows what's going to happen as a result of Judge Moore's election to the to the, the Senate. Who knows what's going to happen, Doug? You, you make a great point. And, you know, the uh, I, the, the, the slop across my head, I, I got this, um, and I could not believe this, but from, from Christians who broke fellowship with me. Yeah, but, uh, but by by saying this, I, uh, we were talking about the Center for Medical Progress and their um, going undercover using false deceitful. identities. Deceitful, right? That's yeah, deceitful. and you can't do that. That's very. That's not. That's not the work of a Christian. Well, what are you going to do? Go in there and say this is who I am and, and expect to get the results that they got? Of course not. But but see, I I think that's pretty much what you're saying too. Um, you, you, well, it says Jesus Himself said that the children of darkness are in their day wiser than the children of light. Right. Jesus. Right. Exactly. Jesus said. Jesus said that uh, uh, to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I thought, man, why wise as a serpent? What? I don't see a serpent as being wise. I see a. I see a fox being wise, or an owl being wise, or a grandfather being wise. A serpent? System occupied by the serpent. Watch the way that he operates. But be harmless. Don't do harm to anybody. But be a, we're living in a natural fallen world. When we invade this natural fallen world, brother, we have to have some wisdom about how we're going to operate it. Now, now listen. Doug, I can take, I'm a big boy. I hear the heads popping too. I hear the heads popping too. That's exactly why we are losing in this war is because we are living and operating by a different set of rules in the political realm. That's right. Now, please don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I never, I'm not saying it's okay to lie. I'm not saying, but I would say that there are times 
when not speaking the whole truth advances the cause of Christ. Do you think I'm crazy to say that, Doug? No, no. I, I under see. I understand that on an intellectual level. I understand that, and uh, I'm not stirred. My spirit's not stirred as a Christian male. I understand exactly what you're saying. We are not playing in a, in a symmetrical. This is not a regular battlefield. The other side can lie and steal yeah. and connive and cheat. And as soon as they make an accusation against our guy, our guy's supposed to. Well, I'm Christian. I have to come clean. Really? Yep. That's why. That's why the Constitution was made for everybody, right? That's right. He has a right to face his accusers. He has a right of a trial by jury. And he is trying to infiltrate an ungodly system. And he's being wise as he's doing it. Man, I, I, I totally, you know, you, as far as I'm concerned, you nailed it today. Uh, and I knew, I knew instinctively that there was going to be blowback. And I'm glad there is because this brings Me us too. to the I'm not forefront. afraid of it. No, no. I'm not afraid of it. Nor I'm should not you afraid be. of it, folks. We have, we have to understand. See, let me make the point again, Doug. He, Judge Moore is everything Donald Trump wasn't. And some people still are never going to be happy. They're never going to be happy. And I often tell people, I'm an unconvicted felon, Doug. You go back 40 years of my life, I've done some stuff that I didn't get caught for, and I bet everybody listening to us right now today would agree with that. But they didn't deal with it back 40 years ago, and I'm not obligated, I don't believe, to come forward and confess on myself today, Right? If I'm confronted by if I'm confronted by somebody from 40 years ago, and he and she, she and I, or he and I, or we're in a situation, I'm going to be honest with him. I'm going to apologize and say, "Yeah, I was wrong." But Doug, statutes of limitations. That's why they have statutes of limitations. Sure. Because it protects the innocent and the guilty. It protects both. And again, yep. don't don't we cannot miss what it is they're trying to get us to do. They're trying to get us to live up to our own standards. When we know every day, <laughs> brother, it's impossible. That's why the, that's why the grace of God is so remarkable because it's there available for it. And I'm not a greasy, gracie, God forgives you. I can go ahead and sin and God forgives me. No, no, no. No, in my heart, it's this, the law written on the heart. Amen. Judge more, judge more. I'm thinking judge more in his own heart saying that's old. That's the old me. That's 40 years ago. There's a far higher calls for me to be fighting here now I'm going to bite my tongue I'm going to bite my lip and I'm going to fight like whatever to be able to advance the kingdom of God by getting elected to that position I don't have any problem with it man I'm so proud you are America's coach and I'm right there with you brother tell people if you don't mind I I can't believe no one or there are are people out there that don't know but for those who uh, don't know coach uh your programs, give out your website and your program time and, and such. How about my new shirt I'm wearing here tonight, Doug? Protect the flock with a Glock, brother. We, there you we, go. We, we think it's time for Christians to start standing up and, and uh, doing uh, doing things to defend uh, those around them. CoachDaveLive.com. And, Doug, if I can, I give a, I want to give a plug about the event that you guys are going to be, be at here in Akron, Ohio, on April 22nd, 20 through the 22nd. And Occupy Until I Return Conference. You can find it at CoachDaveLive.com. It's going to, Russ Dizdar is going to be there. L.A. Marzulli is going to be there. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, John Robertson is going to be there. Mike uh, Spalding is going to be there. Paul Bagley, Akron, Ohio, April 20 through 22. And 
I know how many people love to come and shake your hand, looking, looking at you and Joe. So we're excited that you guys are going to do it. And then, of course, uh, they hear the Watchman Conference. We're going to be down in Dallas. That's in March 23. What do I have that? March 23 through 25. Doug, listen, we are, we're doing everything that we can do to try to awaken and get Christians to rise up and understand that we're in, we're in a battle. You guys had me on before because we were down in, uh, doing all this mercy ministry down in, in Texas. And I thank you for all that and all the people that supported us. But brothers and sisters, uh, our conference is entirely occupied till I return because we've got to, we have to understand the times in which we live and know what it is that Israel needs to do. And we need to get Christian men and Christian women to shake themselves out of the doldrums and stand up and fight back for the cause of Christ. So, Doug, I was honored. Joe, thanks for letting me be on tonight. I'm sorry if heads are popping out there. I love Email it. me at coach, coach, uh, coachdavelive.com. I'll be glad to have the debate with you. Brother, I want to win, and I want to win now, and I want to win righteously. I think we can do it. God bless you, Coach Dave. Thank you so much. You've taken us to the to the break. Thanks, brother. Stay safe, God and you, uh, we got your back, Thanks. Coach. All right, brother. Thanks, man. I know you do. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Joe. All right. Folks, we'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. And right back, uh, you heard of the Black Rifle Coffee Company? Hmm? Have you? Their CEO, Evan Hafer, coming Coming up next. edition of the Hagman Report. During the break, Eric and I were plotting our initial investments into cryptocurrencies. We will report back later if we do decide to do that. We have coming up Evan Hafer. He's the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee Company. And I want to just give a brief overview of what this company is. Black Rifle Coffee Company is the world's premium conservative coffee company. Small batch and roast to order. We take pride in the high quality of products we create. Our coffee is carefully sourced and from a variety of farms in South America, and we roast it knowing the, f- knowing it will fuel freedom-loving Americans everywhere. This is a veteran, veteran-owned company, and uh, we're going to hear more from the CEO and owner uh, Evan Joe, Hager. I, I love it. He, he writes that he spent over a decade researching coffee, refining. This is him refining my roast profiles, and of course, drinking what I roast. But he did this between deployments. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little. But but and hey, look, I'm drinking the AK-47 blend right now. Cheers. Yeah, and I, I love my coffee, and I got to tell you, Black Rifle is the premier. If you drink coffee, Black Rifle. Look, check out their website. The coffee is great. Number one, number two, the, the and look, I'm not getting paid to say this. We're not getting paid to say it. the coffee is fantastic. The products are, are are superb, but the the best part about this is this is a like Joe said, Joe veteran owned, veteran owned, pro Second right. Amendment. Conservative yeah. Christian. Everything we stand for. If you drink coffee, and I know you do, the exception, of course, Dr. Ted. Hey, Ted, sorry. But, you know, I love my coffee. And I love, I, I, I'll tell you what, give me my AK-47 blend from the Black Rifle Coffee Company. This is the best stuff out there on the market, and you're helping veterans. But, but you know what? And, by the way, remember when Starbucks, um, I, we're gonna we're gonna hire ten thousand illegals or whatever that that baloney was. Really, 
Well, I've got, I've got, don't waste your money on that crap. Get the best. Get the best that there is. Black Rifle Coffee. And again, I'm not getting paid to say this, but you got, you got to give props to, to, to the CEO and to every man, every person that works a Black Rifle who stands up and, and their, their videos, my wife says, you're, you're having, you're having them on. Oh, you got to say, I love the videos. And, and I do too. I, I do as well. But let's, is he ready? Yes. Let's, let's bring him on. Yeah, we have the CEO and founder of the Black Rifle Coffee yeah. Company, Evan Hafer. Welcome to the show. For having me, guys. Can you hear me all right? We can. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Can't see you though. You can't I don't see know you. If your video's not oh, on. Here, I'll turn. I'll turn my camera on. Okay. Sorry, I, I, it says Skype, so I'm I'm not new to it, but uh, yeah, I'm sitting here in my office in Salt Lake City. There you are, man, and, and you're looking good. And I, I'll tell you what. I don't know. I, I I don't know how you do it, but your coffee is the best. And uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and and you know, I'm not getting paid to say that, right? You, you ain't nope. paying me, okay? Um, and I would uh, I would wrestle anybody over the AK-47 blend. Uh, you guys do the best, but but uh, you, you gotta t- look for those people unfamiliar with with you and your company. It's just how'd you get started? Uh, well, I started roasting coffee about. 10 years ago and uh, uh, give or take 10 years because the deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan I uh, kind of got a, a blur in there but I started roasting coffee and a little one pound roaster and I was roasting coffee so I could take fresh coffee with me on deployments and I wanted to be able to take you know, 12, 15, 20 pounds depending on the length of when I was deploying and have literally the, the finest, freshest cup of coffee available, and uh, I didn't know that my little hobby was going to turn into Black Rifle Coffee, but it, it did, and I'm thankful for it. My wife actually had a coffee shop in Denver. Uh, I was looking to transition out of government service, and the the step or the logical step was for us to open up a, a coffee shop, and I didn't have the startup capital for coffee, uh, coffee shop, so I started roasting coffee and seeing if I could sell it online. Uh, and people loved what I was doing. I, I was roasting it one pound at a time. I was doing all the customer service. I built my website. I did everything on my own. I, I didn't have any employees for the first year. Uh, I had one employee that I hired in year one, and a former uh, engineer officer that uh, I met post-service. So it was just my wife, uh, one employee, and myself for the first year. And uh, I continued to just be head down, do my best to serve everybody. Today, uh, three years later, I have 100 employees. And uh, we wow. roast over a million pounds of coffee a year still right here in Salt Lake City. I've got a little bit bigger roaster these days. Uh <laughs> And uh, I've hired over 50 veterans so far uh, that work right here in Salt Lake City. And uh, that's one of my primary and motivating objectives. So for me, it's it, this is what I call is emancipating myself from government service and uh, providing value to my family and my subculture, which, you know, is my veteran community. So I try to give back as much as I can and provide opportunity to those that have served the country and 
I think a lot of it just boils back to this is my subculture. These are the people that I've served with. But I also think that America owes our servicemen and women a great deal. Uh, it's our ethical responsibility to make sure that we take care of the warfighters. Amen. And what you're doing, and as far as I'm concerned, building your business the way you've done it, um, with with veterans, putting veterans first, putting uh, patriotism first, your ideology that, that's infused, purposely used that word, into your business, I think it's just remarkable. And what a success story that is. I don't think that there, there would be a patriot out there who would find... Any fault with what you're doing. In fact, they would applaud what you're doing. And I suspect that that's part of your exponential growth here. Um, your explosive growth here over the last, well, when did you start? Uh, you, you said, you, you told me. I, I started Black Rifle Coffee officially in December of 2014. Okay. So three years ago. So three years. Uh, yeah. I, I'd been roasting coffee for several years before that, but I left government service and, uh, I, I had a little one pound roaster that I had purchased and, uh, I literally started the company with, uh, $1,800. Uh, I didn't have any startup capital, but I just wanted to be able to work through the science behind, uh, founding, starting a business and working for myself. I had worked for the government at that point my entire adult life. Uh, I was quite literally just burnt out from working, uh, for people. And I wanted to just figure out a way to, to carve out my own 10 acres. And <laughs> I loved coffee. I still do. Uh, it's, it's something I'm, I'm hyper passionate about. And I just, be, besides my family, my business, uh, and the American Constitution, coffee falls on the top five things that I care about in the world. Wow. And, uh, it's, I owe the, the success of my company ultimately to my military experience because I think that it, it forged me in the realities of of the world uh provided me an incredible opportunity to serve my country and put me in 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 a a wide variety of complex situations that gave me the context of just being able to drive forward in the toughest environment uh i believe in the american warfighter uh to my core because i am and you know when i get up in the morning what inspires me and motivates me is you know, outside of my family is making sure that I'm doing what I can for my subculture, but also the guys that didn't make it back. And mm. if they can, if they can see that what I'm doing is good for the community and, and, and it's, you know, if I'm being a good steward to my subculture and kind of driving the narrative in America to make sure that there are a wide variety of opportunities for, for all of us that have served the country, well, heck, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Our guest is Evan Hafer, the top dog, or should, should I say the top bean at, uh, <laughs> uh, at Black Rifle Coffee Company. I, I got to ask you. Um, yeah. In, 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 okay, so uh, love your coffee, love your company, love your ideology. But now let's talk about where, where, where we're at today as a country, as a nation. Troubling, isn't it? I mean, we are just a fractured nation. Um, but it's guys like you and businesses like yours that are helping us through. But comment on the state of the union today. Well, I, you know, I think that there's a there's there's a wide variety of issues within our society and our country that, you know, 
from my perspective, there's there's so many different things that are that are that are infecting our nation with a negative narrative, and I mean I, I think it just it it happens within negative and false information. Uh, you know, not to use you know the 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 word fake news, but there's just so much bad information out there, and it's so widely accepted as truth that it's very difficult for Americans just in general to make really good decisions. And uh, if they if they look for information, they really have to look at where it comes from and uh, what the foundation of that information is and then how it affects their realities each day. Uh, the reality is, is that we, as a nation, we've been at war for well over a decade now, you know, 2001 to now. If I'm doing my math right, we've been at war for over 15 years. Um, and we've been in Afghanistan for over 15 years. That's the longest running war in American history. If I'm, if I'm yep. doing my, if I'm doing my math right on my calculator, that's about right. Uh, and, uh, not only the expense of uh, at, that expense comes at the the children of America that we're sending off to fight these wars, uh, and not only that, the economic costs of that, uh, and it also starts to fracture the nation and the narrative as far as uh, how we continue to get involved in different places overseas and then continue to to get less invested with our own nation. Uh, I think is is uh, it's almost criminal. Uh, you know, the people that are hyper passionate uh, for America that are true Americans are the people that put on their pants and go to work every day. Uh, they're not in rallies and, and, uh, you know, burning flags. They're, they're the people that go to work and weld pipes and go to work building the nation. And, and they're the people that put on the uniform and serve it. They're the people that go to work every day and put an honest, day's effort for an honest day's pay and and we owe them a great deal of gratitude and I think that uh, maybe news in conjunction with uh, our our politicians continue to fail them boy I, I don't think I could have said that any better Joe I, no. he's right and Evan yeah. I, I want to ask you a question um, while we're not talking about coffee uh, yeah. the VA well, Take a sip of my AK-47 blend. Okay, go ahead. Go okay, ahead. I, and I want to get your opinion on this because uh, you are a veteran yourself. You said you employ um, a whole bunch of veterans, and I'm sure that you have family and friends who are veterans. The VA has had uh, huge problems keeping their, their hospitals and, and facilities um, uh, up to code, if you will. The, the conditions right. have been awful. And today there is news that came out that uh, one of the more plagued uh, buildings in Pennsylvania that 750 employees were urged uh, by the head of this VA not to comply with federal investigators and subpoenas over their allegations. And I just wanted to ask you, how? I mean, have you heard stories about how bad the VA is? And, and in your mind, what what can be done to to correct this? Is this something that is needs to be done at, at the military level, at the uh, federal level? Because we see how bad it is from the reports, but it's not getting a lot of coverage, and I don't see many solutions out there. Well, I mean, I, I'm 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 a service disabled veteran, and I've I've experienced the VA in both the good and the bad. And 
I think that the first thing that we have to take a look at is, is from my perspective, what society thinks of the American warfighter, and I think they don't want to think about them. Uh, I think they forget that we're at war. I think that they forget how many wars we're fighting and the burden that the American warfighter has actually had to take on for over a decade and a half. Uh, and what happens with that is they, as a society, I think what happens is that there's less emphasis on taking care of the American warfighter because there's less emphasis on the wars and making people understand the effects of war and how much it, it has affected a certain portion of our society. Uh, the VA is, has been underfunded. I think it's been mismanaged. I think that it's been mismanaged because ultimately the politicians have, uh, that represent the people have failed to identify the fact that we're still at war. We're still creating casualties at a, at a fairly substantial rate. And it's not going away. You can't, you can't pull the sheets over and make the boogeyman go away. You have to deal with it. Uh, we have to deal with the, the, the realities that we're still at war. Uh, we have to take care of the American warfighter. Uh, as a society, it is our ethical responsibility to do so. Once we make that a priority within our society, I think a lot of the VA's problems will start to go away. Uh, but we first have to identify that we're still at war. We're still creating casualties through foreign policy decisions. Once we do that, we have to figure out exactly why. Are these wars uh, of choice? Are they wars out of necessity? So are they jeopardizing American sovereignty directly, uh, economic hegemony? We can talk about whatever reason why. Ultimately, we have to have a very open and candid conversation in our society as to uh, why we're still at war, but more importantly, how do we take care of the warfighter? Once we allocate the resources, we have to pick up the pieces to the people that we break. Uh, it is a very long line. When you go to the BA, uh, we have long wait, line, wait times. Uh, it's a frustrating process because they want to throw copious amounts of medication at people and not fix what's broken whether it's a physical or psychological ailment. Uh, and what I say is they like to mop the floor when the drain's clogged. And uh, that's a that's a medical issue uh, as well as just the uh, a societal issue. Thank you uh, very, for, very for getting good. into that. It's just uh, very frustrating to see, you know, the deteriorating conditions that have continued uh, throughout the VA in many different locations that's around right. the U.S., and that. The, the fact that they haven't got any better and they're they're being they're telling their staff not to comply with government subpoenas after you know new information comes out about how bad the conditions are it's just really sad to see veterans of all people having to go through that but let's get back to the the coffee company uh, yeah, unless my, you want to follow my, up. my my wife would would just absolutely uh, uh string me up when i got home if i didn't ask you this question uh your videos i yeah. mean uh, is the is the or the dishwasher is broken? Oh my goodness, that video was funny. Um, you do so many great videos. How do you think of stuff up? And who does your videos? You guys do them? We do them. Oh yeah, we do them all. Uh, what we like to say, you know, I started my advertising mainly through trying to to entertain the veteran community, my my subculture, I suppose. Uh, and it is sometimes it's a little bit crass. 
but we're exercising, you know, our first and our first amendment in conjunction with our second, which is, you, you know, we have the right to free speech and we try to entertain and create value. That's our, that's our value proposition, which is if you laugh, if you enjoy our, our content, we really hope that you'll enjoy the coffee. Um, uh, it's two things that we, we take a lot of pride in is just creating value for the customers. Uh, sometimes, you know, people, don't like our uh, content, you know, they think that it's probably a little bit too racy at times. Uh, well, it is, but you know what? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, all right, deal with it. Don't watch it. If you, but, but you know, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, you had me rolling on the floor. Um, this is what happens even uh, when even the kidnapper can't stand you. You know, I, I can relate. Okay, I I got it. But so I, I love it. But but you know what? If if it's not your cup of coffee, it change right. the channel. Yeah. Don't watch. But right. so so there. Uh, so on behalf of my wife, I just asked. Okay. Uh, and by the way, uh, Evan Hafer, the top bean at Black Rifle Coffee Company, and seriously, the official coffee of the Hagman Report, and I hope it, I hope you try it out for the holidays, or I hope you, if you're not drinking it, I hope everyone in our audience gets, gets a Black Rifle Coffee. Um, thank you for allowing us to, to pitch that, by the way, because, and, and again, we, we have, we have no financial interest at all, but I'd love to see a veteran owned company. With the same belief system as we do, just make it to the top. Go ahead, Joe. I know you had some other issues, questions. Yeah, and uh, just a few things from your website. I'd like to learn more about uh, what your coffee club entails. Uh, so I wanted I wanted the coffee club for me. Actually, I, I designed it for me. I wanted something that I could just put it on auto uh, autopilot, so you can choose one to four bags and you can choose it on one week, two weeks, three weeks, however much coffee you drink. Uh, that's where you basically you, you can just get it auto shipped to you. It continues to build. It comes out, out to your house, stumped on your doorstep and the time that you want it. Uh, I get two boxes of AK-47 espresso dropped at my front porch every two weeks and uh, I own the I still am a member. And the other piece <laughs> to that it. is you get discounts from your favorite uh, retailers in the firearms industry. So when I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a huge Second Amendment advocate, obviously. Uh, and so I've been able to align myself with companies like Cryptac and Kimber, uh, Leopold, and then other veteran-owned companies like uh, Bison Union, uh, Article 15 Clothing, Ranger Up Apparel. Uh, and we provide discount codes every month for the, the things that you might be purchasing outside of coffee. So what I say is let your passions pay for your coffee, and that's what I tried to create in the coffee club. Man, okay. I, I love that. Let, I love that statement. What are some, uh, what are some of the products, um, maybe people who want to, do you have any, you know, like sample packs or test packs? That you send out. What are some what of the better holidays? Are you selling coffee now or what? Uh, I just want to know. People who are who want to try it, you know, but don't want to take the full plunge into, you know, buying a bunch of stuff. Oh, maybe oh, want to test it out. What are some take of the, the full plunge. Yeah, what are some of the, I, the coffees or bundles that people can buy to, to try a little bit of everything or to, to, to test I, out the coffee? Yeah, the, so we, we have the uh, the Mission Fuel Kit, which is uh, four of our main blends. So I've developed those roast pop profiles with, it's called an uh, Arabica Supremo or Colombian Supremo about three plus years ago. Uh, it's an AK-47, just black. 
Uh, we use calf at times, and then we rotate that in. So you can see all those bags. We've got Beyond Black, Silencer Smooth, Just Black, and AK-47. I rotate that at times, so about every two to three months, I'll rotate another bag in there um, just to mix it up. But our full, our, our mission fuel kit is probably one of the best things you can get because you get four different blends. Uh, that'll last somebody that drinks a lot of coffee. That'll last them three to four weeks. Uh, and if you do put it in the freezer, it will last longer. Uh, we are a roast-to-order coffee company, so I don't roast your coffee until you put in the order. So we don't have coffee sitting on shelves for extended periods of time. We've just got, uh, as soon as our order comes in, it's literally roasted that day or the next day, and then it's put on a truck and shipped out. Man, you, you can't beat that. I gotta tell you, um, checkmating Starbucks at every turn. You ain't gonna find any triple venti, non-fat, non or soy lattes here. You know, uh, no. it's, uh, this is uh, really a, a fantastic. I, I, we are so impressed. I mean, I am so impressed. Um, uh, really, beyond belief. And I, I want to thank you. First of all, I want to thank you for your service. Second of all, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone listening. I'm sure for everything you're doing for our nation for the people, you know, for, for your employees, because truly this is what America is all about. You, when I, when I look at you, look at your coffee company, I, I see America written all over it, man. I really do. Well, I appreciate it. It's, it's funny because you guys are interviewing me and you can see my coat. I'm wearing my coat and I'm yep. on my, uh, I, I literally just uh, jumped off a, a, a podcast with uh, another veteran, Matt uh, Eversman, who is the main character in Black Hawk Down. So I walked from, uh, our podcast studio over here and, and jumped right into this. That's why it looks like I'm wearing my winter coat because Utah's uh, a little bit cold right now. But uh, I, I, I was just got off the phone talking to him about veteran entrepreneurship, veteran opportunity. Uh, how do we employ and empower more veterans? Uh, you know, our our mission statement is pure and simple, uh, which is to emancipate American men and women from government service and. You know, for us, we, uh. Looks like we lost wow. him here in the All last right. minute. Well, we can uh, try to bring him back or we can let that, go, No, Eric. that was good timing. You know what? If you, if you, if you're able to, uh, Eric, just, just tell him we enjoyed our time together because we're up against the bottom of the hour break. Um, wow. Uh, but folks, look. We're going to have him back. Yeah. On, I'm sure we're yeah. going to be talking with him off air too. The Black Rifle coffee.com blackriflecoffee.com is the website it. it's great stuff that's why that's why I'm so peppy tonight <laughs> that and uh they not only sell coffee they sell a whole bunch of other things from you know mugs to hats t-shirts other equipment they have a, a fantastic easy to maneuver website that is uh it's really nice nice looking and they got all kinds of of products that, uh, as well as their coffee club, which I think is a, a great and, thing. And, and, the re- and seriously, the the reason Joe he, that you and I talked about this to, to bring him on the top being at uh, Black Rifle. Oh, he's back. Okay, it, no, at least we got about I, a minute. My my wife was, my wife called and I forgot to put us on. Uh, Do not disturb. So uh. it's my it's my fault. Um, uh, what I was talking about was uh, we we literally just got off a podcast. Uh, I do another podcast. Here in the studio, uh, do you guys care if I talk about it for? No, go ahead, seconds? please, please. Uh, uh, it's called the Launch Code, and you know there's no advertisers, nothing on it. Uh, but all we talked about is 
uh, empowering and employing veterans. So we try to get people on, other veteran entrepreneurs, other veterans that can inspire and lead and provide a little bit of motivation to the men and women of the country that are uh, transitioning out of service and into the private sector. Uh, it's called the Launch Code Podcast, formerly known as uh, Black Hearted. And, uh, but that's why yeah, I'm wearing my, my jacket because I just jumped off. Our conversation went a little bit long. And, uh, it's, it's our primary mission focus here at Black Rifle Coffee is to provide great value. Uh, if you, if you truly love great coffee and, and if, if our coffee and our company is in line with your values, uh, I think there's just, there's just no other option. There are so many good coffee companies out there, but, you really have to think about the company. And what I tell people is I just try to get people to vote with their dollars. Amen. Uh, you know, if you love the coffee, you love the company and what we stand for. You know, I like to think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the conservative coffee of, of, of America. And, uh, I, I, I don't speak for all vets. I just speak for, you know, my veteran community and the guys that will actually listen to me. Well, Evan, we're at the bottom of the hour. Thank you so very much, Network Break. Thank you for coming on. I know you're a busy guy. Um, talk talk soon. Okay, thank you very much, guys. I can't thank you enough. Follow on Twitter, Black Rifle Coffee Company. My goodness, Black Rifle Coffee. Getting right back to stay right where you're at. Day, three hours for the flagship program. That's 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, Doug Hagman Radio Show. That's 9 to 10 Eastern. Global Star Radio Network and BTR. Blog Talk Radio. Just go to HagmanReport.com and you'll find it. As well as Joe and John's show from, uh, their live noon Eastern. And you can also access that program via HagmanReport.com. We did an extra hour today. You did an extra hour. We did an extra yes, hour. Yes, we did. Oh, that's right. We were on with, uh, Jim and Angie from uh, Victor's Libertas, Libertas. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure when that's going to air, but yeah. that was a fun interview. It was just, uh, unplugged, you know, but, uh, you know, the veterans, you heard what, um, the CEO, the, the top being at Black Rifle Coffee, Coffee Company was talking about. And, and think about the veterans. Think about how many, I'm thinking about 15, 16 years, 17 years of war. How many years? A long, a long time of war makes a lot of veterans and a lot of, uh, people who suffer from injuries to PTSD to, to everything. Our next guest is going to, uh, talk, going to be talking about that. And in fact, has written a book. Uh, but before we get into that, Joe, the uh, results, Alabama, and I don't like to do this because it, the numbers change so much, but the Alabama race, Judge Roy Moore and Doug Jones, um, what are we looking at here? Close race, right? Supposedly, some exit poll yeah, we got says some, close race. I don't know. We got some, some numbers coming out, um, and it is showing that it's hard to tell because you have only have 1% reporting. Yeah. But it looks like uh, Doug Jones has a thousand point or a thousand vote lead. Um, you know, you have Doug Jones four thousand votes, Roy Moore about three thousand votes right now, fifty-seven to forty-two percent. But you can't. I mean, with look, you, this is not up to anywhere game, between okay. uh, a million to one point four million voters. So All we're right. talking only about you know six thousand at this point. Yeah, and it's, so it's, it's difficult to even discuss it at this point. But uh, we'll know when we know. 
and um, uh, hey, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how the media spins it. Either way, that you're going to you're going to see media spin. Either way, regardless right. of who wins, and it's a tainted election. Yeah, you know, as we said, yeah. because of all the the publicity and the way that they have polluted. And you're going to ask yourself why the left, Soros in particular, his organizations, have and and the uh, the un. By the way, you follow the money on the left with respect to this election, and understand that a lot of this was uh, the, the money going into the Jones campaign was structured so that the identity of the donors would not have to be disclosed until, if at all, until after way after the election. It's pretty interesting how that works. Legal? Yes. Ethical? Well, depends on your ethics, I suppose. Tactical? You better believe it. So that makes me wonder when you see, in investigations, you always follow the money. And this is something that we do is we look at the, the money and the things. And, you know, you, you got Jones is a proponent of uh, oh, uh, abortion! It's it's a woman's right to choose. Uh, really? Okay. I can, but, but don't get me started on that. Yeah, we have our oh, our we guest do? with She's, us. Okay, good. Welby O'Brien, and she is the author of a book, "Love Our Vets: Restoring Hope for Families of Veterans with PTSD." There's the book. Wendy O'Brien is crazy about her veteran husband, and together they face the daily challenges of PTSD. Holding a master's degree in counseling from Portland State University and teaching degree from Biola University based on her own life's journey, she has authored the book, Love Our Vets, Restoring Hope for Families of Veterans with PTSD. And goodbye for now, uh, which group support, formerly a wife, divorce support. She's a uh, prolific author. That book is a tremendous book, by the way. And I want to thank her for writing that. But She's also ahead. a contributing author to Chicken Soup for the Soul, Divorce and Recovery, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Spirit of America, and as well as uh, many other books. But she's come on to talk about this book, her website, and the website for the book is loveourvets.org. That's loveourvets.org. Welby, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you. You know, you you've got a background in counseling in my studies of 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 you and your background, and you live with a husband who's a hundred percent disabled veteran with PTSD. Um, let's go right from the right from the beginning. What exactly is PTSD? I know what people think it is. I know what people, but what is PTSD and what causes it? And folks, don't get me, don't get mad at me for asking that question because there's a lot of people out there with misconceptions. So let's start there, if you don't mind. Okay. Post-traumatic stress disorder actually can happen to anyone. And it's a result of being exposed to horrific or traumatic or life-threatening And what happens is the whole person goes into emergency survival mode. You've heard of fight, flight, or freeze survival. And they stay locked or permanently programmed in that survival mode at some level for the rest of their lives. So 24-7, if something happens to trigger them back to that original trauma, they live as if that original trauma or some kind of impending crisis could happen at any moment. So when something happens to trigger them, they have no reserve with which to handle it. Interesting. Okay. And, and that's a good, well-defined. Now, does it, does it ever go away? 
I wish. <laughs> um, because the trauma and its indelible impact are are always there, and you can't erase something that has happened, the PTSD itself will never totally 100% go away just because it happened and it's part of their life. But the good news is that it can be helped. And there are more and more therapies and resources available now than ever before. In fact, it wasn't until a few decades ago, really, that PTSD was finally publicly acknowledged. So the good news is there's a lot of help out there. Um, that's what Love Our Vets, the support network, and also the book, were all about the fact that there's hope. And what may work for one person may not for another. So don't give up, but just know that it can be helped. Okay, I have a question for you. In your book, you explain that PTSD can affect anyone, not just veterans. I'd like to know uh, how how this happens. One and and how what are some of the signs that that you'll be able to say or recognize that PTSD is a result of being exposed to a traumatic experience. So anything that a person perceives as life threatening, it could be um, it could be a loss of a loved one, it could be a a tremendous storm or hurricane, it could be a car accident, it could be anything that traumatizes the person. And of course we hear about it more with veterans because that's um, more the common association, but there's actually more people in the general public that have PTSD than veterans, I believe, and it could be from abuse or anything that makes the person feel like they've got to go to fight, flight, or freeze survival. Some of the typical symptoms, and the good news is is that not everybody has all these. That's that's good. Uh, Some people do. But some symptoms to look for would be avoidance, anxiety, depression, fear, hypervigilance, flashbacks, numbing, nightmares, difficulty sleeping, Outbursts of anger or other emotions, substance abuse or other addictions, withdrawing, walling off, relationship trouble, sometimes employment problems, and unfortunately, sometimes even suicidal thoughts. Wow. But the, the good news is that they can learn to thrive and that these are actually just signs of something that is a normal reaction to an abnormal experience. Okay. A, n- a normal reaction to an abnormal experience. All right. That, okay, I understand that. All right. And I, I you know, when, uh, I, I have to ask you this. Um, I remember back in the late 70s or mid to late 70s, um it, well even after that the Vietnam war when, when the soldiers came back was this wasn't called PTSD when when the, those soldiers came back from the Vietnam war wasn't or did i miss that uh, <laughs> when, 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 i don't think you missed it um it's 
PTSD actually has been around ever since all of history. It's had different names. Way back they called it Soldier's Heart. You've probably heard of Shell Shock. Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of names. And unfortunately, so many of our warriors came back and they were just kind of said to suck it up, get over it, or even worse, they were put in treatments that were actually more harmful than helpful because people didn't know. So it is the Vietnam era, I believe, who eventually, those veterans eventually were the ones that kind of helped bring it to light. My husband is a Vietnam veteran, and it took him 40 years to figure out what was going on. So we are thankful that it is at least have a name and there are more and more therapies and resources, organizations popping up all the time to help in addition to the VA and the vet centers. And because, I mean, you're living with someone, you yourself, with PTSD, and it, as you said, somebody with PTSD impacts a family, everyone around them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, your book addresses that, addresses a lot of things. If you want to branch out from there, um, even though, of course, your book is not a religious book, both you and your veteran husband are people of faith. You know, if you want to expand on that, and uh, yeah, and if the Christianity makes a difference, yeah, um, yeah, at least in your experience of the PTSD and others that you've talked to. So a, a lot on the plate there to, to to unpack there. Again, you know, living with someone with PTSD uh, impacts you. How does your book, is in particular, address? handling that okay and then the faith would be a second question sure yes no no however you want to do it um (laughs) just i just we just throw a lot at you so uh. okay all right i'll try to catch it all um yes the ptsd not only affects the individual who battles it firsthand but it deeply and profoundly impacts all those around them who love them who live with them who are close to them some people call it vicarious trauma or secondary PTSD, kind of like secondhand smoke. Um, I think, I've never heard any numbers, but with people all day long, every day for years and my own life, I would guess that there are probably three to five individuals, loved ones, for every one PTSD survivor who are impacted. So if you do the numbers, um, it's, it's a lot of people. And the, the war has come home and all the loved ones around, we are now part of the ongoing conflict. I say in the book, it takes an exceptional person to love a warrior, especially a warrior whose war will never cease. And so those of us who are the loved ones, we find that we, too, start seeing symptoms of PTSD in ourselves. We, too, get triggered. We find ourselves on full alert and being hypervigilant and losing sleep and wondering how we're going to explain all of this to family and friends who don't get it. And so we need to connect to good support. We need resources as well. 
as far as you know, I just I just want to interject one thing here. We're not talking about snowflakes here. We're, we're not we're not talking about the snowflake trigger from a um yeah from being offended or you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. We're, we're talking about you know people in in the in the throes of war, for example, uh, and that's not to diminish people's reactions to to certain things, but we're talking about real life, real trauma, real you know. This is not excuse. We're not talking about excuses. We're talking about real life stuff. So I, I wanted to make sure people differentiated between the the snowflake kind of behavior. They're right, always right. a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and know, I think that's versus, that's self-explanatory. One would hope, but today I don't know. And if I can just ask you a follow-up question to uh, mm-hmm. what you just added, the family members who are affected, you know, with addiction, you see, um, what's it called? Al-Anon meetings where people uh, who are in families affected by uh, addiction are able to go for support. Is there support groups specifically for families of PTSD? That's a good question. Members? A great question. And that's one of the main things that we are all about at Love Our Vets. It used to be that they would say go to the Al-Anon meetings because a lot of the principles are, are really valid. There's a lot of crossover there. So that is an option. We have ongoing 24-7 online support. Uh, go to the website, loveourvets.org. And that's the main thing that we're all about because when I started my relationship with my husband years ago, there was nothing. And it, it's, there's nothing like feeling totally alone and overwhelmed. And like, what's wrong with me? I'm the only one. What is this? So that support, that total support, connecting with others is crucial. So yes, we have online groups and we also have local, local groups in some places and are, we are ready and willing to help you start a group in your area if there is not one. So please contact us if you want a group, whether online or locally. And we we have a whole lot of resources that may not necessarily be through Love Our Vets, but we can help find other groups. We've got one of the best resource links pages on our website, we've been told. So please know that you're not alone and that there's hope. And, yes, get connected, whether you are an individual that battles PTSD firsthand or whether you are one of the loved ones. You know, I just want to say to our audience that, uh, we get, I get emails a lot saying, you know, all you talk about are problems. Problems, problems, problems. All you talk about are news things. All you talk about is this and that. You never offer any solutions. You never offer any, well, here you go. Here you are. This, now, now and again, you gotta think about how many people are affected by this very affliction. So, go ahead. I know lots of the, the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some, many of the listeners that we've talked to, uh, who are veterans and, uh, whatnot and who have experienced other traumatic uh, SRA abuse, things like that, that, sure. that deal with and struggle with PTSD. So there is a lot of people in our listening audience, and I'm sure there are many family members of people. Um, and also, uh, we are, just to, to reintroduce you, we are talking uh, with our guest. She is the author of this book, Love Our Vets, and that's loveourvets.org is the website. Her name is Welby O'Brien, and this book is subtitled Restoring Hope for Families of Veterans with PTSD. And it's a, it's a great book. And one of the things I just want to show our audience here on the video is inside the book, there's a little insert. 
and it <laughs> is the PTSD basics. And there's some great information just on this little this little card you have on the back. You know, uh, please don't, and it goes through a list of things not to do, and then it says please do. And, and um, you know, this talk about a, a place to start of a basics. This definitely is it. And again, the book is titled "Love Our Vets." Uh, Welby, we I don't know if our producer John told you this, but we're primarily have a, a Christian based audience. And uh, you you say in your book it's not a religious book. But you and your husband, both are people of faith. Have you found that Christianity and faith makes any difference in the lives of those battling the PTSD? Absolutely, yes. I say in the book over and over again that faith and love are the two keys. At least most of the book is what I've learned in my own life and combined with things from other people too. And faith and love, faith is the connection with God, and love is the connection with other people, and those are key. And I know in my own life, um, personally, a relationship with the Lord has been a lifeline. Uh, also in my husband, I know that God never promised to protect us, or to, to shield us from hard times in life or to erase trauma, or to make life just really cozy and comfortable all the time. But he did and does promise to be with us and walk with us through the hard times. Much-needed peace, his presence in the pain, promises perspective. When you get triggered with PTSD, all perspective just goes away. You're just totally in survival mode. So there's so much there. Jesus promised to walk with us through the trauma and he knew all about trauma of course and one of the things about trauma is it makes a person feel terribly alone so one of the first steps the most important in healing is to realize you are not alone and if you can pray together with someone you love that is even that much better and you help each other in the ups and downs because it's not all wonderful, but we're always learning and growing. And I do say that God has an amazing way of causing all things to work together for good to those that love him. We're called according to his purpose, even the stuff that just seems so unfair and so wrong and so painful. So, yes, in my experience and in the lives of those around me that I've observed, I have seen it truly beneficial to have that faith and that relationship with the Lord. Well, that's great. And that's, you know, that's what I would have assumed. But sometimes, you know, um, you can, I can see how it, it could, uh, I guess, uh, have a, have a, what Christianity's messages can sometimes maybe trigger a PTSD uh, just by looking at some of the things in the PTSD basics on the back of the book I can see how, how that can kind of overlap maybe uh, in a not so nice way if people aren't aware and familiar with PTSD and what they're doing but as most things uh, in my experience Christianity uh, helps and and adds everything to life so I can see how that would uh Overlapped the PTSD. I gotta ask you this question because this kind of—I was—I uh, understand how this might work, but not really. How do patriotic holidays, such as the Fourth of July and Veterans Day, affect those with PTSD? Is it negative, positive? If you had read the book, I haven't read the book yet. 
Yeah, quick. I'll tell you what page. Um, actually, it totally depends on the individual. Anything that takes that person back to the original trauma can trigger them. So what may trigger one person may not necessarily trigger another. Some of the typical triggers around patriotic events are crowds, parades, loud noises, um, bright lights. I know a big one is the fireworks at 4th of July. There are especially combat veterans. That can just totally put them instantly right back on the battlefield. Is that from the sounds? Sounds, lights, smells, any any sense, any memory. I we had a local patriotic event here honoring Vietnam veterans. It was in a big outdoor stadium, and I'm just not quite sure uh, what they were thinking. But they surprised them all by landing a Huey helicopter in the middle of the field, and. What could possibly go wrong with that? We're terribly (laughs) triggered by that, although it was a wonderful gesture. So that was something. But each person is different, and you have to learn what triggers you and be aware of that and avoid things. Don't go to the parades. Don't go to the things if it's going to stir things up, and that's totally okay. It's kind of ironic because that's the day we want them to feel so honored and respected and celebrated. So... Mm. That is a um, kind of a quandary. Well, yeah. O'Brien is our guest, by the way. I just want to again reintroduce her and, and to say that you know this is solutions to, to a, a huge problem. It, you hear all this stuff about the opioid epidemic, and uh, really, okay, this is a problem. Here are some solutions. Welby O'Brien lays them out in in a great fashion in her book. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I wish we had more time because I'd like to get into. And understand, you know, what the, the triggering, what, what people with PTSD go through. Is it, you know, so, stuff they remember, flashbacks? Is it the feelings? But we only have about real, a minute and quick. a half left. So. Well, I, I just got to say this. If you've ever gotten shot at, I got shot at one time and for like five years, seriously. And I'm not kidding around. Uh, any noise, okay, uh, like a bang or whatever, I'd be on the ground. My wife was, you know, she, she would chuckle at that, um, as I would. But that's kind of a symptom, right? Yes. Okay. And it's not funny. Um, be really careful never to belittle them or even right. don't surprise them or play practical jokes on them, too. That's right. not right. No, and, and, and yeah, uh, trust me. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I, well, I we've got about a minute and a and, uh, half left. I want you uh, to give people out your website, theloveforourvets.org, and, and what else you do there. You said that there's a, a connected support group uh, where you can get people together. You can get the book there. Um what else do you what do you do with the the website? Or There's that? lots of resource links. You can connect with resources. We've got a section on service dogs, PTSD service dogs, legal help for veterans, um, all sorts of support for the families and the people with PTSD. I also you mentioned the PTSD basics cards. We mail these out for free to anybody who wants them. If you're having an event or something like that yeah a lot of um we do that it's also can be downloaded off the website but it's a wonderful tool to share with people who just need a, a nutshell version of what it is and like you said what to do what not to do boy you're a national just, treasure 
You really are. <laughs> and, and, and I say that, and I mean that. We're at the end of the end of the segment. Love uh, you, O'Brien. We, we already got like 12, 14 emails asking you to come back. Hopefully you will. Um, Joe, go ahead. Yeah, the book is Love Our Vets, Restoring Hope for Families of Veterans with PTSD. Again, the website is loveourvets.org. And go on the website and get, if you want, get this uh, PTSD wow. basics card for free. She said you can get it. Uh, download it there or um, order it, and they'll send it to you. Thank you so much, Welby. You, uh, it was great to have you on, and we'll have to have you back. I love that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great night. We'll be right back with Stan Dale after this. third and final hour of the Hagman Report on this Tuesday, December 12th, 2016, it's almost 2018, 2017, and uh, we got Stan Deo coming up in just a few minutes. want to gr- bring you a quick word from Greenovative. As you know, Greenovative makes awesome portable power using salt water. Greenovative is offering their 30% store-wide discount that was supposed to end on December 5th until December the end of December 15th due to uh, Hagman listeners asking them to extend the offer. So again, you have uh, Greenovative 30% off their store-wide sales through the 15th of December. If you're looking for a great Christmas present, a great Christmas present with lots of capability, now is the time to get one or two packages at an incredible savings. Also, don't forget they also still have their mission pack that you can send to your favorite missionary, your pastors, have them stored up in your church and ready to go. Greenovative.com is the website, and again, that's the 30% off discount extended sale until December 15th. And we want to thank Alan Riggs and Greenovative for uh, being sponsors of the Hagman Report. Quick election update from Alabama. It seems that we have uh, a few more percent of the vote coming in, and Roy Moore has taken the lead. According to the New York Times poll, he is up by, uh, looks like, almost 2%, 2.1%. So it's uh, too early to call, but we will continue to update that as the time goes by. We know that this was going to be a close race, uh, depending on the voter turnout, and because of all the publicity that it has received and the negative publicity that Roy Moore has received. So it's going to be a close race. I expect you won't have an answer at least for another hour, maybe two. You know, again, the story... Obviously, is the, is going to be who the victor is, but the uh, the the real I believe the real story. I may address this tomorrow in my morning show is going to be the spin by the media. Regardless, one thing that that talking about spin, you know that 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 idiot from Bangladesh that strapped a, a, oh, yeah. a candy cane on his chest. Family and, says, okay, what a moron. Now, 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 think about this. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. The, the bomber from yesterday, the, the intended suicide bomber, the idiot from Bangladesh that walked, and we were in that very spot, by the way. I don't know if you remember, but uh, we were in that very spot where that bomb went off um, oh, yeah. a, a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, but having said that, the New York subway blast suspect, in a Facebook post before detonating bomb, wrote this, Trump, you failed to protect your nation. Yeah, he put that on a Facebook post before he went okay. out. Okay. Now, now, seriously? It's, hey, de Blasio, 
It's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been working overtime. Regardless of what you think, regardless of your political ideology, you cannot intellectually argue that it would be Donald Trump's fault. It's 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 de Blasio. It's it's Cuomo. De Blasio stopped a lot of the um, surveillance that was being done on mosques and the uh, some of the uh, counterterrorism units. He he drew back on those. Uh, I think it was last year. Savage has been has been pointing that out. And, and who and who took out all of the references to Islamic terrorism out of the FBI manuals? I'll give you three guesses. Robert Mueller. How's that? He's responsible for taking that out of the FBI training manuals and, and the manuals. Robert Mueller. That's right. The top cop, the A number one, the, the you can't do anything wrong. Special prosecutor. He's the guy responsible. And you got this Nimrod, this New York City bomber. Uh, saying, hey, it's Donald Trump's fault. You get him to protect your nation. And, and of course, this is what USA Today is reporting, and this is what the, the, the media spin is. you got to be kidding me, all right? Seriously. What is wrong with, with, with our media? So I, I've got no problem with, and by the way, um, i got, I got no problem with, with uh, uh, people saying fake news and what have you, but by the way, the uh, uh, this has really been the worst year for the Major mainstream media, Crimea River. This is because this is a reason for it. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, we we have Stan Deo with us, and uh, just real quick, one last thing on the New York City attempted terror attack. Did you see the reaction of the family? How they said today that they were uh, highly outraged at the conduct of the law enforcement officials for making their four-year-old wait outside in the cold and for having a uh, a, a person in, I think it was a high school, questioned without the parents there, and they were making a big deal out of that, having a lawyer from CARE. Well, go back to Bangladesh. Go, go back to your Muslim country where, where you, 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 want, you want your rights. Don't bring your crap over to this country. Get the hell out of our country. And that you know, begs the question, is should there be some kind of uh, retaliation or response from the U.S. government to deter Families of, of terrorists, should they be blamed at all? Some say if you're, if you are here and, uh, one of your family members commits an act of terrorism, send the whole family back. Too much. But does so, something no, have no. to change? The, That's the, whole the question family. that needs to be asked. The, the whole family, the extended family, uh, the, their pet turtle, their <laughs> pet goldfish, <laughs> everything, get them out. In fact, it, let me drive the bus. I'll drive the bus. I'd be driving the bus. All right. Well, the question is, what, if anything, can be done to further deter this behavior from repeating? But with that, oh, let's bring Stan Deo on. Yeah. I know you have ideas. Stan Deo is our guest each and every Tuesday in the third hour. Go to standeo.com and pull up the show images page just to the right of the microphone icon on the right-hand side of his page and follow along with all the research and findings that Stan presents on the show. Stan, it's great to have you back on. Good to be here, guys. I, the... Uh... I have a number of things here that uh, kind of pertain to the uh, immigration and the terrorist type situation. I see that the um, uh, in image 48 here, I have a, a link to an article on the Jewish news, and it says it's uh, end of time. These eight places around the world are actively preparing for nuclear war. So it's not just the terrorists here in the United States. There are forms of them all over the world, and uh, you know North Korea could be uh, considered uh, terrorists. Um, Iran certainly has terrorists. Um, 
but in the Middle East, the Palestinian supporters are all terrorists, whatever they call themselves, you know, um, al-Nusra Front or uh, ISIS or whatever. So the whole world is coming apart at the moment. Uh, everybody's against everybody else. I know uh, Holly put up an article today on the news page over at standeo.com about, in fact, I might have a link to part of that about uh, China. Uh, yes, image 45 um, on the show images page. Um, the the Chinese are threatening World War Three against the United States if we move our, you know, Navy and other forces over in the region of where Taiwan is and, of course, North Korea. Uh, I don't know why uh, they've they've suddenly decided China to, to threaten us with World War III over that, because we've been coming and going and dealing with the, uh, Taiwan, supplying them weapons for, you know, decades, and, uh, you know, having trade with them in electronics and various other products they make. And, of course, the thing with uh, North Korea, um, China should have been taking care of them, but they haven't, so it might be a long-term chess game with China to involve the United States in a confrontation over there in the Western Pacific region. Um, and that could draw our major military resources over there instead of to the Middle East or to protect our home front. Um, I know that our tacticians and strategists in the DOD here are all aware of this, but i tell you what, with uh, several of our uh, destroyer-class ships being out of service at the moment due to collisions or other things that were wrong with their electronics, you got to wonder how safe we really are from, you know, invasion and attack. Well, See what well that, yeah. that, that's yeah. conspiracy talk, Stan. I mean, who would think? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're impervious to that. We've got two oceans, and, yeah, you know, Stan, you bring up, you make a good point. Um this is something we wouldn't have talked about 30 years ago, would we? No, no. Um, China wasn't that strong, but by golly, they're rising to the front now. We, um, <laughs> we're losing that number one position very rapidly. I think, I think, yeah. uh, I think thinking back, didn't, uh, during the 90s, wasn't there a huge, uh, technological transfer to the, to the Chinese from, from America? I don't. Well, certainly there was during the Clinton administration. Yeah. If they even have a Chinese desk, or they did have in the patent office, and whether a patent got accepted or just uh, applied for, the Chinese were taking it over there and doing what they wanted to with it. Uh, right. So, yeah, uh, Clinton has to wear a lot of the responsibility for what China has now. Yeah, and, and, yeah. In this, in this statement on North Korea, we've never been safer. Uh, I think that was uh, Clinton. Yeah, it was Clinton. Uh, Bubble. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, you're you're right. And standale.com, go to his show images page there, and wow, very interesting times. Yeah. You know, we've uh, just real quick one last thought. For years and years, we've heard that you know the invasion possibility uh, about Russia, and, and you know we we've heard that you know the Russian troops are training on U.S. soil and the counter military drills that they're doing with CIA and whatnot, and there seemed to be some integration between the Russia and U.S. military. Especially, you know, at the during the Jade Helm period, but when you think of the population of China and the size of their their military, and if they were to launch some kind of invasion, that would be a far different looking battle, I think, than if you had Russia coming and in invading. That many people have uh, had dreams and visions, and and state will happen. And if you had like that movie Red Red Dawn, yeah, and then if you have a combining of the two, 
you know, that that's a lot of trouble we're getting into. So any talk like that is uh, something we need to take a close look at because the dangers are very real and the consequences would be catastrophic if that did happen. Yeah, I mean, going back 20 years even, the Russians, the Soviets, and the Chinese had a Sino-Soviet pact they signed, which may have gone by the wayside when the Soviet Union broke up, I don't know, but basically it said Russia and China joined together against their common enemy, the United States. Um, and that's, I don't think that's gone away. Certainly, um, the, the saber rattling from the Chinese at the moment, the Russians are sitting on the northern Korean border, and I think the Russians and the Chinese are definitely in collusion against the United States. And as you say, so many people have uh, uh, had visions, dream visions, of a Russian, a Chinese, and even one Middle Eastern country adjoining them, um, invading the uh, lower 48 United States, uh, lower 48. Uh, Dmitry Dudeman, who has now passed away, saw this in dream visions the Lord gave him, and uh, he even told where the Russian portion of the invasion would come from, and the Chinese, and the Hopi. Uh, Holly and I visited the Hopi Indians in the Shagopipi tribe, and we were uh, privy to discussions of their uh, prophecies um, uh, in the home of one of the, the leaders of the community. And he said, like, okay, there will be a Russian-Chinese and a Middle Eastern country that invade the United States, and it will be a horrible uh, war, and uh, then the invaders will eventually leave and go away, probably because they've destroyed most of the country. But the, the front range of the Rockies uh, down into northern Arizona and um, New Mexico would probably be occupied by the Hopi and some Navajo and some of the survivors of the invasion. But this is getting very, very close, you have to admit. Yeah. Uh, 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 boy, I, I stumble at even asking this question. Can you see uh, a condition, I suppose, or conditions that would permit such an invasion or that would facilitate such an invasion? I mean, are, are, yeah. don't, don't we have a formidable force to to prevent such a thing? Or well, let's you know, let's look at the, the new types of weapons that are out there to disable our electronics in the military uh, ships and aircraft and, and communications. Certainly, they take a lot of precaution to try to uh, eliminate that with the MP protection that they have on boats and aircraft and you know tanks and communication gear. But there's a, um, also a very focused type thing that uh, Raytheon uh, even invented probably 10 years ago, allowing a um, like a Tomahawk missile to come and target a particular building and zap it with um, a very concentrated uh, pulse, electromagnetic pulse in the microwave region, which would fry all the electronics in that building, but not anywhere else. Now those, uh, because of the closeness of it, the intensity of it, and the frequency range, could be uh, quite devastating even over what the most spec uh, for EMP shielding is for you know, like buildings. Uh, if that happens, say, in the DOD um, or if a nuke hits it or if an offshore EMP is launched from somebody's international ship in international waters, that could start uh, the chaos inside the country here. Um, we are so dependent on electronics and communications throughout the, uh, the United States and the world, but certainly here that any interruption of that can create chaos in communications with, within our military. We can also expect um, 
civil war, you know, like isolated incidents between various ethnic or religious groups in the United States. We can see that. We've talked about it for several years on your program, that the Hopi said there would be this massive civil war that would weaken the United States from within, and that's when they'd be invaded. So uh, the, the more you see about Democrat against Republican, uh, you know, Trumpites, anti-Trumpites, uh, black against white, against Puerto Ricans, of Muslims against Jews, against Christians, <laughs> you know, illegals against illegals in the country, these, these uh, facets of the civil strife certainly lend uh, credence to the Hopi prophecy that uh, we would first be weakened by internal strife. And, you know, perhaps the deployment of troops, uh, both state and federal, for some type of martial law to try to maintain order. But, um, you know, if you add to that communications uh, blackouts yeah. or power, we, we've got a nightmare here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I kind of think back to the original, what was that, Red Dawn scenario, the original yeah. Red Dawn. And uh, I don't think I watched the other one, but, yeah, it, it's just... Uh, Boy, that, that that would excuse the expression. That would suck. Um, yeah. And we've been over the yeah. statistics of the EMPs and what that would do to a civilized world. I mean, look at the hurricane that hit Puerto Rico. They still are without power in some areas down there. And, and think of how devastating the the EMP would. And oh, it's man. all the more reason to check out Standeo's uh, EMP Shield, and you can check his website for that. Um, and that's also in the show images. If you want more detailed information, he has them right under. And make the, great, great Christmas gifts. Yeah, and how to use them and what Hint. what they are, how they work. It's all there. So check well, those out. I, I, must, I wasn't going to address that too much this evening, guys, but uh, obviously you've got a code you can tell people to use. But our problem at the moment is being able to keep up with the demand. So I'm putting uh, temporary limits of how much stock we're we're allowing to be sold on the websites because, you know, uh, we just can't meet 10,000 orders a week. Um, so as we get uh, uh, stock in of the various popular units, I put up on the shopping cart, okay, we'll let you have 500 or whatever. So you kind of have to hit it every day and be first come, first serve to get it. Uh, I, I will kind of tell you the bad news, but toward the end of January, we've already made arrangements uh, with the uh, our manufacturers and, and subcontractors, we will be able to probably turn out about 10,000 units a week and we'll catch up. It's a good problem um, to have, Stan. Yeah. Uh, and these yeah. are all American, this is all American made, right? Oh, you bet. You bet. That's it's right. made in Kansas. Uh, way out there in the boonies. But, um, in fact, it's not far from where one of the missile sites, uh, you know, the Atlas. Uh, oh, the irony. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But, <laughs> Even one of the guys, like our project managers, uh, done a lot of contract work for the uh, nuclear reactors in the in the region there. Um, and uh, the parent company, Canseal, they've they've been working on, you know, repairing and maintaining nuclear reactors like Wolf, Wolf Creek for you know years now. So we've got really good guys behind us, and uh, we're doing the best we can. I might also tell your listeners um, that uh, in addition to an EMP shield, you need to. Uh, have an auxiliary power supply. Uh, a number of people thought that an EMP shield was, you know, going to protect them and they wouldn't have any problems. It'll protect their stuff that's, you know, connected inside the house and, but it won't make new energy for you. So you need diesel, you need wind, you need solar, and hopefully we'll be able to get the, um, the information out for our atmospheric converter. Uh, our attorneys are looking at the stuff now then so we can file new patents on it. 
Uh, well, that just makes sense in a way because that was my question. Your stuff is protected, but where are you going to get the juice from if everything else is fraud? So, yeah, okay. You know that's what that's what started this whole thing. Uh, Tim and I were you know working on the aerials out the back of my place and over his place in Kansas and another one up in the Colorado Springs and our groups were all uh, looking at various uh, problems we might have because we were using high voltage collectors and. Uh, we thought, well, we need to have some kind of a protector, you know, for lightning strikes or surges nearby or surges on the antenna. And uh, so I said to Tim, you know, back in, in uh, early October, I said, look, design us some kind of a device that will shield the high-frequency, high-voltage stuff that might affect our antenna. He said, well, why don't we just make it for like an EMP strike? You know, and I thought, well, okay, uh, investigate that and see how we do that. And so he, he ran off and, uh, he talked to a couple of his buddies there in the government, whatever, and came back with a, a design that was really quite novel. He is quite novel. Well, that, that's, excuse me. No, that's, yeah, sorry, go on. That's interesting, Stan. Um, I want to ask you this, and I want, kind of want to switch gears because I'm looking at the time. We're already 20 minutes into this, and I know we got a lot to cover. Right. I see you have something up here on Netanyahu. Iran eyes sending 80,000 uh, Shiite fighters to, and I gotta pull this up to see where you're talking about. Me. Middle East. Oh, Middle, Middle East. East. <laughs> Would you like yeah, to hum during this? Uh, that that, that, that <laughs> threw me off there. They're going into Syria, and I think some of them will probably migrate over, uh, into, uh, northern or southern Lebanon. Um, that's why Lebanon is such an important pawn of the Saudis and uh, the agreement with the Saudis and various other Arab nations with Israel. Um, but Iran is behind all that. And uh, certainly with Syria and Lebanon, you know, Lebanon uh, joined Syria over on the uh, Mediterranean coast. And then uh, Syria comes down to the Golan Heights, which they still claim is theirs, but uh, uh, Israel occupies for safety. So, you know, it's just a drive across a borderline with troops. And if you put 80,000 troops over there in Syria and slip some of them over into uh, Lebanon, it's going to be a, a, a real danger to Israel. Um, you know, and uh, this is no news to Israel. They've been preparing for this for some time. Um, well, I've yeah, seen a I, few stories in the last few days, Stan, and I have not been able to really independently verify um some of these accounts, but one, the White House is, uh, I, I read this, Not this is not confirmed, the White House is considering to uh, accept Assad as the continued ruler of Syria, and also that there's a huge drawdown or a complete drawdown of Russian troops in Syria because they uh, yeah, say saw that, that ISIS has been demolished. So you have seen that. Okay, yeah. so that might be a, a temporary confirmation. Um, mm. What? So if you have, uh, you know, the U.S. who's not technically there, you know, pulling some of their people back. If you have Russia pulling their people back, what are uh, we expecting to see with Iran sending people in there? Especially, say, if Assad is going to, you know, uh, retain and re reannounce his, you know, leadership to the world uh, from over there. And, and it seems that the fighting is dying down. Um, is this to help the Syrian government, or is this for other purposes? Hmm. I tell you what, uh, the more I investigate the various aspects of this Middle East situation, the, the more confused I get because there are so many, um, 
alleged alliances that may not work may be a lie between various uh, countries and religions over there that I have no idea how it's going to play out. I do know that we are going to see by prophecy that, you know, the, the Russians and, uh, you know, uh, Gog, Magog, they're going to be pulled down, uh, jaws and uh, hooks in their jaws to draw them down the Middle East. Is that going to be for oil? Is that going to be for alliances with Syria or, you know, Lebanon or Iran? Um, that area is going to be erupting very shortly. Um, it is going to be such a threat to the entire world when that starts down there or over there that you can see why a peace treaty between Israel and many nations and the United States as well is going to be essential to try to give peace and security to the people of the world. Jordan is definitely against uh, Israel at the moment. Uh, it hasn't really changed its, uh, its spots on that. And Jordan is, is uh, trying to act against the United States as far as kicking the embassy out because of the, uh, the Trump uh, decree to move our embassy down to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. Um, you know, the Egyptians are, you know, quasi-friendly, but, uh, you know, relating to the 1994 peace treaty with Israel and stuff. Uh, so when you, when you put all these things in your mind and roll them around, it, uh, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions, uh, uncertainties. And the only way to kind of solidify where things are going there is to watch the news every day. And the more you read, uh, the, the more the, the situation comes into focus. But, but the main thing at the moment I see is the Middle East is waiting for a spark to uh, use some nuclear weapons, somebody over there against each other. Both sides have them. Israel has them. Uh, Iran uh, has them. Uh, Pakistan has them. So the Saudis have it. And I don't know what the arrangement between the Saudis and the American government is about weapons, whether they're going to be secretly having nukes, nukes or not. But that area over there, um, because of like desert areas and sparsely populated areas, there could be nuclear detonations that wouldn't be as catastrophic as they would be in, in Europe or the United States in the populated areas. You said because of uh, their deserts? Yeah. They, there there are vast, uh, vast areas where there's nobody there. And if they had, you know, like... Uh, armies fighting each other, the nukes could be tactical nukes and uh, be like limited range and not EMPing the surrounding countries. So I'm saying that a, a nuclear exchange could be allowed over there by the powers of the, of the world uh, and then force a treaty to be signed, but it won't protect the United States. Um, somewhere in all that, the United States will have to fall. Um, and uh, as we support Israel uh, under this current administration and when you have the, the liberal democratic administrations, you know that support for Israel is almost zero. Uh, so during a conservative Republican type government of the United States where we are supporting Israel with weapons and backup troops and whatever and money, um, and the alliance of peace between them and the Saudis and the other Arab nations in that consortium, because of that, the United States is viewed by Russia and China as, um, well, the great Satan that needs to be destroyed. Uh, they need to, to to weaken us to the point that we can't help Israel, we can't even help ourselves. So I'm thinking that very soon uh, America is going to get hit uh, right around the time that the nukes fly in the Middle East. Mm. <sighs> yeah, mean, it's, a, it's a crazy situation, Stan, and painting a very disconcerting picture. And, and it could go a number of ways. And uh, one of the interesting things that we covered today, that we saw today, is uh, Chris Matthews and the media in general has been having a you know the usual reaction to Donald Trump 
but he equated Trump's recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel as the same as uh, getting America into a stupid war. And he said that not only did Trump keep a campaign promise by um, recognizing Jerusalem, but he also broke one saying he wouldn't get us into stupid wars, equating that this decision is equivalent to entangling us in a war. But it just, um, you know, it has has seemed to um, change the uh, allegiance, or at least it it initially appeared so, of some of the nations like Jordan, for instance, uh, you know, expressing their um, anger over the decision. But do you think that the the Arab alliance that you talked about will be able to continue, uh, or do you think that this announcement somehow will have an effect on that? I think it's already had an effect uh, with some of the member nations of the Saudi alliance um, uh, over the the decision to um, the United States to move the embassy to Jerusalem. It uh, impacts the potential Palestinian-Israeli peace treaty negotiations, and so uh, I think that... um, the Arabic Union will lose some of the 41 member states, uh, but I don't think they'll lose enough of them uh, to, um, uh, as I've said on the show before, a list of how many thousands, tens of thousands of tanks and attack helicopters and uh, troops and stuff that the alliance has. So they can stand to lose, you know, 25% of it and still be a formidable force against whoever they want to be, Iran or the United States. I don't trust the Saudis who are in charge of all this. No matter how they have uh, shaken hands and treated uh, the Trump administration and the representatives of the administration over in the Middle East, I I can't can't put 2,500 years of of, uh, angst or controversy between Israel and the Saudis away in a handshake with uh, young Prince Salman and King Salman, his father. they just don't change their spot that uh, that quick. By the way, one of the the uh, mascots of the Arabian uh, continent here are leopards. So changing their spots is a a very uh, apropos type. Uh, I see what you did there. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, it, it, you know, you you look at this. In my view, you look at everything that's going on with a wide lens. Man, where do you even start? Um, hmm. You know it. I know, I know. The more we talk about, it, the more confusing it, it seems. But in the end, the final blueprint that you trust is the one from the the, uh, the Bible. That's true. Telling the, the light of nations against whom, and Israel still remains the focus of all this. Um, such a tiny nation, mm-hmm. and such uh, a gathering of large nations against it. It's like from Spartacus, you know, with your pitchforks trying to fight the Roman army, but they are there, and they're going to win. But uh, not before there's a lot of hurt between here and there. And that's that's very true. And I think that I think that's a good point, too. We have to remember God is in control. And, and um, I think we have to remember that our guidebook is the Holy Bible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh the Israelis, you know, they, they, they're brilliant. They, they're making advances in medicine and technology and power and, and uh, fresh water production that are that just wonderbar. And plus, they've got the gas fields in the Mediterranean, and soon their oil fields in the, in the Megiddo Valley will be developed. <clears throat> I know in the last week, the share prices of uh, Zion Oil, which is in the 
southern part of Megiddo where they have 99,000 acres of, you know, to drill, uh, and a two-year lease, which is exceptional. They are very close to uh, proving the oil fields of the Megiddo. Um, and, you know, their shares have jumped 8% in a week, which tells you that there are a lot of private concerns that know what's going on there. And I'm pretty sure they'll find oil there and also to the west and north of there at the Megiddo Plain up near uh, Nazareth. But um, anyway, I... And that, that'll, that'll be the currency of, or that, that'll be the, the, what they're going after, or what they would go after. In other words, the spoils, I guess is what I was looking for. Yeah, the spoils. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not just to be greedy, it's to be, you know, keeping uh, countries uh, energized. We, we depend on uh, fossil fuels immensely, and then like Russia and China. Uh, some of the Siberian oil from Russia is uh, heavily uh, waxed. You know, it's, it's hard to, uh, uh, refine, very expensive. So they want this nice, clean, uh, not too paraffiny type oil down the Middle East. And for years, we've suspected there was a deep reservoir uh, in Israel. And in fact, I, I tracked it down, uh, plotted it uh, using some of my dad's information because he was a petroleum uh, geologist years ago. And if you look at slide four on my um, show images page, it shows you. Um, a lot about how I traced the the underground uh, oil fields that they haven't yet tapped, but are they're doing it right now on the at the end closest to the uh, Sea of Galilee uh, with the Zion oil um, well. I'm just trying to see which one of these. Remember the Bible talked about the flinty stone that you know and the oil uh, in Israel. And they thought that this was just like um, olive oil and, uh, you know, flinty stone being the kind of ground that the olive trees grew on. And it might well be that. But I I uh, went to Israel's <coughs> geological sites and to the universities there and asked questions and got copies of things to see where in all of Israel was this flinty stone, uh, stone like basinite found. And I found two little locations um uh, and they're both in the, in the Negev, and they are right close to Kfar Yehoshua, um, uh, which is just a stone's throw from Haifa. But you can see that if you go to my uh, slide four and into the pages there, and look at the the second row from the bottom, the first image overview of the area, and you can see the little red outline where I found the only places mm-hmm. that they have record of in Israel where there is flinty stone it's called basinite and then I tracked the underground aquifers uh, or well, not the underground flows from the Golan Heights where they have proven oil uh, and I found the, the, the blue track that I have there I have two of them one goes over into uh, closer to Haifa and the other one goes right here to this flinty stone area where these two red outlines are I don't know whether you can see that yeah there you yeah. go you see those two yellow pins there and, you know, uh, south, if you look at southwest or kind of diagonal toward the Google Earth sign, down that way just uh, what, five or ten miles, not that far even, is where Zion Oil is drilling where they've been given permission to drill. And to the upper left of that, um, there's um, uh, an orange pin. You see that there, and it's... Uh, Elroy Petroleum Storage Facility. They're, they've got huge petroleum storage tanks there. So I'm telling you, They've got oil there uh, that either they know about it and, and haven't uh, you know drilled yet, 
or have done so and are keeping it very quiet. Uh, there's always been the threat from the Arab oil exporter uh, nations that if Israel tries to develop oil from deep wells, that you know that the Arabs are going to instantly declare war because they say Israel will be taking oil running downhill from the Arab uh, supplies that we've been using. And wouldn't it work is, both ways, Stan? Because I know you you talked about this on our show. Um, one of the the past shows you did, you gave a great, a great presentation on this. But wouldn't that work both ways? Then wouldn't if they're taking oil out of those uh, wells and it's dry, wouldn't it also dry up if they're that connected? If the if Israel taking oil out of a well uh, depletes wells, um, you know, in, in other where other nations drill, doesn't that say that these underneath these oil wells are, are obviously? Oh, yeah, <clears throat> and not only that, the lower oil fields, which are, might be twenty to twenty-five thousand feet deep in Israel, in the Megiddo. Those wells, the Arabs say, okay, you'll be sucking oil out of our wells, which are at a higher altitude over on the, the Saudi Peninsula. But the truth is, those oil wells are under terrific pressure, 25,000 feet down, and that pressure is pushing the oil uphill, has been since the formation of it, into the Arab country. So what they've been doing is taking the oil off the top of the field that's been pushed up in their direction from the Israeli uh, pool of oil. Now, if you've been following the uh, Saudis and a couple of the other the Arab nations that are exporting oil, they're kind of slowing down. And uh, there's strong, strong evidence uh, in Wall Street that the Saudi oil fields are like 25% of what they uh, officially declared as their oil reserves are running low on oil. So that means that they've been taking the skim off of that, the pressure's dropping, and you know they're not getting the oil that they used to from the Israeli oil field. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it works really one way. Uh, the, the oil belongs to Israel, but it's been shoved up into neighboring countries. So when they run out of the fringe they've been picking from the top of this pushed-up oil from Israel, uh, they better find a way to support tourism or, you know, minerals development or something like the Saudi prince is doing because they're going to run out of oil uh, to uh, to sell. Uh, and that's making this area very, very important, very important. So yeah. keep an eye on Zion Oil uh, shares. I'm sure that they uh, they're in the right area. And, and um, this is yeah, uh, prophetic, also. Uh, scriptures definitely. deal with this too, so we know that at yeah. some point this is going to happen. Uh, and also, Stan, I, I don't know if this is on your show images page number 44. If this is the same headlines I saw earlier that said after the Jerusalem decision, uh, calls renew for a third temple. And I see that's what this article pertains to. Is that outside of of this uh, right wing group, or are you? Are there other groups calling for uh, a new another temple mount and a third temple? Well, if yeah, if you look at this, this is the Jerusalem Post, which you know um, uh, you call them right wing if you want, but what they are are they they are um, very orthodox in that they want to reestablish the 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 Temple of Solomon because that means their Messiah their view of the Messiah can come. They have to have it ready for him. This is an interesting, interesting situation because as Bob Kornicki and some others who have researched the location of the temple have said for, gosh, maybe 20 years at, at least, is that what we think the Temple Mount is, you know, or was for Herod's temple, is not. Uh, at most, the corner where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is in these, uh, it's kind of on the uh, 
east side of the Wailing Wall. Uh, where that is, there could have been a portion of Herod's Temple there that was then um, overbuilt and joined into the uh, uh, the Temple Mount that we know today. But outside the wall, on the southern part of the wall, uh, in in the uh, the district called Ophel, O P H E L, uh, it is reasonably certain that the, the city of David was there, and, and to the right of that, or to the east of that, sorry, uh, was the the location of Solomon's temple, uh, and it was close uh, to the the only spring in, in the area that, that uh, you know the Ophel Spring uh, that they needed for temple worship. So. It had to be in that area, and I think a solution to this uh, building the third temple would be: don't build it up on the Temple Mount. Build it over where the city of David was. You know, it, it's got some streets and houses and rubble piles on it now because no stone was left on, you know, unturned and thrown over when the Romans got a hold of it. And the the uh, the Temple Mount itself does not represent what Jesus said would happen to the Temple of uh, of Herod, even that it would all be torn down, no stone would be left, you know, standing. Um, the Temple Mount, the stones are there, the foundations are there, and that was really where the, the Roman soldiers put their encampment to watch over Jerusalem, keep peace, you know, their way. And um, so I think that really a lot of attention should be focused on the research that's been put up on the Internet about the true location of the City of David and uh, the uh, Temple, uh, Solomon's Temple, which is kind of just slightly east of it, a few hundred feet. I think I have, uh, let me just see, I think I have a link to something about that. Uh, uh, yes, uh, image uh, 49 up the top. That's a, a video, and, and the guy speaks with a heavy accent, uh, but he's telling about the research to find the, um, I better stop that, it's fixing the play. Um, it tells about the research he's done, built upon others' research to show where Solomon's temple was. That's in the green outline you can see in that uh, uh, icon I've got up there. And it's worth uh, listening to him and seeing why he thinks uh, the the temple of Solomon could be built there. Um, and that would stop a lot of the problems as far as uh, Israel having a temple and not being on the actual temple mount that everybody thinks is where it belonged. Um to give you an example, when you go to Israel and you go to, to visit King David's tomb, King David's not there. It's an empty tomb. The Crusaders built that because they figured, well, this is probably where, where he was. Whoop. King David's empty tomb here as an artifact. Hmm. So, so it's kind of like the sorry, progressive bye. ballot boxes. Not in <laughs> All right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how Moore is doing now. He's been ahead and behind, ahead and behind. Let me just ask Holly, what's this? Fifty-three more. Jones is forty-five point six at the moment. Well, yeah, you got three hundred sixty-one thousand votes for Moore, three hundred ten thousand for Jones. And CNN is now calling uh, Judge Roy Moore a racist and a Russian. So, <laughs> well, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll circle back around to pedophile sooner or later. And they still have a lot more weapons in their arsenal of name calling. Yeah. Know, to, and, and, and the GOP establishment, they're meeting tomorrow to decide what to do if Moore wins. Oh, the, I believe so. at this point, it looks like he, he has a, a commanding lead. It's not over yet, obviously, but, mm-hmm. um, better than what they expected of, of him. If you're listening to the media, 
And, you know, this means that tomorrow morning, you talk about watching the news for their entertainment value. Tomorrow morning, oh, heads are going to just explode. I, 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 I got to sound clips galore. I, I got to, I got to, yeah. I got to watch Mika and Morning oh, Joe yeah. just if for the entertainment can, value. Of that. If they can even contain themselves enough to to do a broadcast. I, I wonder what it, Stan. I wonder what it would take to. Well, no, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Uh, I get in trouble. But anyway, yeah, I know. Hey, they say that the 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 they were predicting that the race would be so close that it might be a tenth of a percent between them. But um, at the moment, that's kind of gone by the wayside. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's I I don't like doing the football thing. You know, it's uh yeah, it's this and that and the numbers and stuff because I, I just don't trust how they how they bring in the numbers. Uh, I, I I sense that there's a lot of Democratic or a lot of uh, blue uh, areas that are, are sandbagging their results. I I don't know, but that's just me. But I just don't trust the the score keeping up until well, the final moment. When they declare so openly, like they did in the presidential thing, that their side's going to win. Uh, if it does go against them, uh, as you say, it's going to be a storm of interesting comments on the news. <laughs> oh yeah, it will be. It'll be something else, and. Um, I go back to those videos after Donald Trump won, you know. You better fix this right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, it's sad. But you you see that that shows the the division in our population. Yeah. We are such a house divided we can't stand. We're we're going to be in trouble. We yeah, are in trouble. Yeah, we are. And and I and, and I ponder this um what brought us to this point, Stan? I mean, you and I—we're not that different and far and far apart in age. Although you're about a hundred years older than I am. Yeah, um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, we're, we're we're pretty close. <laughs> you look better uh, than me. But but uh, seriously, how did we? How did get we get here? here? Yeah, how did we get here? In this, in the divisiveness. Well, a couple of things are influences this. Um, people tend to forget the good Lord and uh, honoring him and our Messiah Yeshua Jesus. When things get to be really comfortable and you got plenty of money and plenty of spare time you get slack and you let things happen that turn your nation and yourself even against God because you're on the fence or not supporting and doing things that would uh, you know, spread the gospel. Um, but my dad when he came back from World War II um, as I put it on the, my website here on Stan's Corner about my dad and, and the Operation Tehran that he, he headed up with the, the British and the, and the American soldiers that stayed after the war as civilians, they were blocking the Russians getting into the Middle East oil fields and taking them over because the White House at that time was uh, wanting to just let the Russians do what they want to do. Dad, uh, you know, and his men, they supported, uh, you know, what... Um, well, um, what's his name? The general uh, that was killed over there, the, uh, Pat the, the, the Patton. Patton wanted to just go right on into Russia and take them then because he knew they were going to be a problem. So Dad supported, you know, stopping the the Russians by bluffing them, thinking the American presence was there, even though they were just civilians with uniforms that looked America. Okay, so he comes home, and uh, you know, I uh, was born while he was away, and uh, when I grew up to you know, early teens, uh, he started explaining things to me about the uh, communist plan to go into countries they want to take over, particularly the United States, to infiltrate the educational facilities, 
to compromise leadership, you know, in scandals and whatever ways, to weaken the United States over one or two generations to the point that they would accept communism because they wouldn't know any better. They would come under the guise of socialism, and uh, of course, certainly we have a lot of that now. So Dad educated me to this, and when the the fifth columns, as we call them, came into our religious uh, universities and started uh, altering the, the thinking of our new priests and ministers coming out to, to, to teach it and to shepherd our, you know, the, the Christian nation here. When they went into our educational facilities, uh, into the uh, you know lower school, into the universities, and started bending people's minds, whether it be with drugs or, you know, we want free will, all of that kind of stuff played into the weakness of the human spirit. And so we became slack, and we, 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 as a nation, we saw that, you know, people um, started to deviate from righteousness in all kinds of thought and deed. And that's, I think, what brought us down, is that we, we weren't good watchmen, or we couldn't get enough traction, because Dad sure, certainly tried, and so did the John Birch Society, and so did, uh, you know, uh, uh, a number of leading individuals at the time, one general, and uh, he was part of our group, all tried to wake up. The American population, but they had just come out of World War II and had kind of won the war. And, you know, they didn't want to talk bad guys in war anymore. They just wanted peace and security right. and you know, Christmas. And, and we let our guard down. We couldn't get the nation to rally. You, you know, I, I was surprised, Dan, uh, to, to read about, and I, and I often talk about the book, uh, American Betrayal, Betrayal by Diana West. And, uh, I often talk about that book because in it, and I had no idea, that during the war, obviously, we sent military supplies to Russia, the Soviet Russia. And post-World War II, we continued that, we continued through, via the Lend-Lease program, even to the extent sub- or post-atomic era, we were sending them uh, uranium at, at one point via the Lend-Lease program, which just blew my mind, because it's uh, it kind of, you know, passes prologue kind of thing, but I just, um, yeah, yeah, but I agree with you. I think you're, you think you're 100 percent right on the money. We let our guard down. A lot of things happened during that time period. Uh, yeah, I know. My dad, uh, years later, you know, after the assassination of Kennedy and things like that, he he just would shake his head because why weren't people listening? Why weren't people aware and awake? And control of the media and the educational facilities and our political systems and some of the banking facilities. It just is such a big thing to beat that he realized that we couldn't turn it around. Yep, and the and I would contend and agree with you that uh, the uh, you know the the lack of scripture, taking the Bible out, ripping the Bible out of uh, the schools, and, and and really thumbing our noses at the the Bible and and the God of the Bible really are undoing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. We're, we're, we're done. We're going to see a nation that is uh, judged heavily for this. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it wouldn't be for lack of trying for a lot of us, like yourself and me and many others, and my dad and his, his groups. Um, you know, they tried. And, uh, it just is a, a nation of people that didn't want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And, and it does give one ca- a pause to cause, I think, or cause to pause. <laughs> uh, whatever. But it, it makes yeah. me think about, Really, how far we've gone in uh, swirling the drain, uh, but, but but you know, I, I have hope that we, at least we can. Maybe there's maybe we can 
a percentage of the people out there and, and change their hearts, their minds. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on just a second. What was that update, Holly? On oh dear, Jones fifty-nine and and uh, uh, more more forty point three. So that the trend has reversed rapidly. <laughs> where's where's she seeing that at, Stan? What are you? Uh, what side are you seeing that on? Live New York Time. I'm there too. I see uh, Roy Moore at 51.6, Doug Jones at 47. That's what I'm Have seeing. Have you refreshed your screen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing 51.8, 51. In favor, in favor of Moore. Yeah, that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, Holly just updated ours. Yeah, same thing, same figure. Okay. It, it's it, you know. And, and that, that's what makes it tough. Seventy-two you know, percent reporting. It's it's difficult to follow this because it changes. The, and how, each site's different too. Yeah, there's an Axios yeah. poll that has different numbers, and they're yeah. not the same as this. And then the margin's different and everything. But uh, and and one thing about the New York Times, I don't know if Holly or Stan, if you guys seen this, but underneath the number results, they the have meter. live estimates. Yeah. And ever since this started, you know, I've seen they've been predicting. Uh, Jones to win, chance of winning 90%. Even right now, the chance of Jones winning, they say, is at 70%, with over 70% of the votes in and Roy leading by over five percentage points. So I don't know. I don't know where they get their... I think it's skewed and, and bias plays into those live estimates. It's, hope, it's what they hope they're going to, you know, probably the best possible outcome uh, for yep. Jones. Yeah, um, is what they put. Follow the money, though. I, that, that's the, that's one thing that I I really think where the story is. If you look at the support, I think by following the money into the Jones campaign, who's who's because you talk about a full court press against uh, Roy Moore. Regardless, I mean, just put aside any issues. Just look at the the, the tactics and the money. Holy moly, it's something. But wow. Yeah, they're throwing money at it, uh, and there's just uh, no honor in what they're doing. But anyway. No. Hey, um, another another lighter subject here, but a really good thing. Uh, slide forty-seven. I um, have a link to a story about Israel and um, the medical research. They have been doing field tests already um, uh, of a vaccine that a company has developed, which blocks ninety percent of cancer types. Now, uh, it doesn't prevent cancer in the beginning and unless you catch it in the early stages and this vaccine goes into your body into your your immune system and uh, it teaches your immune system how to to get through the disguise that cancer cells normally uh, coat themselves with so that the body immune system can get uh, can kill them and if you've had cancer and you, you you've uh, gone into remission and you want to stay that way uh, you can take this vaccine and it prevents the cancer coming back so you know the the tests have been uh, mainly breast cancer and some other stuff they're they're doing now, but uh, it is very encouraging to realize that they are teaching our bodies to be the treatment. You have one shot and that's it, and it teaches your body to, to fight off these cancer cells. And as they develop more stuff, I'm sure it'll be good. Um, right above that slide, it's slide 50. Israel has um, just put up its own space lab, which. Uh, has a couple of uh, Swiss projects, uh, Israeli and a couple of U.S. projects on it, and it docked with the uh, International Space Station so that it'll be an ongoing laboratory as part of the International Space Station, 
and they're doing mainly you know biological research up there. As I said, the Israelis are just very advanced in you know biology and genetics and and uh, you know medicine. So it's worth having a look at that uh, that uh, article. Hmm. Or both of them, for that matter. Israel um, doing a lot. That just tells me that. <laughs> wow. And when you think about look Trump, at how many Nobel Prize winners are, are Jewish have yeah. been. You know, it, it, it's disproportionate to the entire population of the planet. There's a reason for that. I, I was going to say the Middle East, but yeah, the planet indeed. Yeah, you're right. Stan, did you see Trump say that he wanted to do another NASA moon mission? Yeah. Do you think that that's something that he'll do? Well, uh, I know the vice president in charge of that, um, and uh, I. The reason I asked it like that is because they talked about for the first time recycling an old ship or using an old um, rocket instead of building a new one, and they said that they believe that the risks are just the same as as building a new one because we know that that NASA has really shut down any any ongoing or further building of space shuttles. So I think it would be interesting to see if they if they did try to do that. You know I have my own thoughts about that anyway, having worked mm-hmm. under the Teller Group where we had anti-gravity and flying saucer technology and dealt with real aliens, um, what, in, in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, it, so I don't think, I mean, if, if the president is uh, read into what's happening with our, you know, relationship with these beings and the advanced technology, I would think that he might, Gain some political advantage by saying, "Yeah, we're going to we're going to do a base on the moon and you know move that direction, but not spend a lot of money with new technology because uh, why? There's going to be an announcement here, you know, fairly shortly when the world is at, at uh, the edge of nuclear destruction to you know to allow these uh, quote unquote aliens, you know, which is under Satan, you know, to come to the Earth and bring us peace and you know appoint a world leader. We're at that point, so." I don't think that that that, that uh, President Trump is going to be spending real money on this, you know, a, a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be a huge budget. Okay. Wow. I just thought that was an interesting announcement um, to hear him say that, and I didn't know if he said it just as a tongue-in-cheek thing or if he really meant it as something he wanted to do. But either well, way, I saw the press conference, and he seemed to be, you know, serious about it. So okay. who knows? Interesting. Hey, listen, we've got uh, Jim and a shower coming tomorrow. Uh, it, we've already seen little pieces of the Geminids uh, over Colorado. Uh, Holly and I were out here the last couple of nights, and um, some really impressive meteor uh, uh, fireballs have been coming down there. They come in, and it starts as a streak, and you can see that there. That's over India in 2015, but um, they come as a white streak, and then they, they start to glow bright green as it, as it ionizes the oxygen. And uh, the bluish tinge is from some of the nitrogen in the atmosphere being ionized as well. Uh, but anyway, it it uh, it just kind of slowed down into this great green ball, and with smoke trailing behind it as it slowed down, and then poof, gone. But these things were tiny; they were like this in this picture. They were big. So I'm encouraging people to get out, you know, in the nighttime even now, and uh, look for these things. They're, ours came just overhead, heading east. Um, Put your bicycle so, helmets on and go um, outside. You know, we, we'll we'll go out and see if we can see him stand. We just have to look through the blizzard and lake effect snow. That's right. But uh, oh, really? I saw that that's, yes. that uh, shower was ongoing tonight and tomorrow. So thanks for the info on that. Stan, we are at the very end of the hour. want to thank you so much for coming on and thank Holly. You be and, the man. Uh, we will talk with you next Tuesday.
Thank you, guys. Night, night now. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. Well, that'll hey, wrap up this show. Catch catch the Doug Hagman Radio Show tomorrow at 9 on Blog Talk Radio and also Global Star. Joe and John, noon. Back here tomorrow night at 7. God bless. 